happiness is, you know, you've got to pay for it on the other end on some level, or it's like a spike, you know, and there's all sorts of chemical stuff at work. But but peace has no opposite, right? Like peace is just like, I'm here. Everything that comes my way, I can accept. I'm of service. You know, there's a calmer dimension to it. listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbout. And if you're new, every Wednesday I release an episode with a guest where we do just that. We let it out, all of our thoughts and feelings and what's inspiring us. And I ask a lot of questions because I'm a very curious person and I capture in this very long-winded recorded conversation a moment in time and a long conversation with someone which I love doing more than anything else and you just heard a quote from my conversation with Josh Radner who is the guest on today's podcast and I am so thrilled for you to hear it. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while you have probably heard me mention Josh and his work because It's super meaningful to me, which is why this episode is super exciting for me and hopefully you in a few minutes when I finally get to it. He's an actor. You probably know him from the TV show that he starred in for nine years, How I Met Your Mother, where he played Ted Mosby, which is the guy who's trying to find the mother. And Josh isn't exclusively an actor. He is also a writer and a director. And he's made two of my favorite movies. His first movie, Happy Thank You More Please, which he wrote, directs, and stars in, is maybe one of my favorite movies ever. It's my comfort movie. I can watch it on repeat. I'm constantly recommending it to people. I even wrote about it in my book, which is about journaling. It's called Let It Out. And one of the journaling tools in my book was inspired by a monologue in that film, which is how I was able to connect with Josh. And anyway, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's kind of a joke at this point how I'm become the ambassador for this movie and we even joke about it in this episode but I'm gonna keep recommending it forever because I love it so definitely watch it if you haven't already his second movie which we also talk about in this conversation is called liberal arts and it stars again Josh he wrote it he directed it he was in it along with Elizabeth Olsen And this one's on Netflix, so you have no excuse not to watch this one. It's right at your fingertips, and it's so uplifting and relatable and, above all, entertaining. So you'll hear us discuss both of these, and good news, Josh also mentions in this episode that he has two movies at the ready that he's working on. He's also working on a book. He's starring in this PBS period show that comes on after Downton Abbey called Mercy Street about the Civil War. He's about to be in a Broadway play this fall, and he's working on an album with Ben Lee. So clearly, he's a productive guy. 
and a busy guy, so I am super grateful that he spent almost three hours chatting with me about everything from acting to finding yourself in your 20s to going really deep about spirituality and his writing process and what he likes to eat. So it's such a tangential, amazing conversation. He couldn't have been nicer, and I'm so grateful that he did this podcast and gave me the opportunity to share this conversation with all of you. And I'm so grateful to the podcast for giving me the opportunity to get to have a conversation with someone I admire so much. So thank you guys so much for listening this week and every week. And I know you're going to get so much from this conversation. I just re-listened to it right now. And even though I recorded it just a couple months ago, I got so many new lessons from the wise anecdotes that he shared, and I took away something completely different, not because it had changed, but because I had, and we talk about that. We talk about changing and transitioning, especially as you're growing up in this episode quite a bit, which is good. It's good that I've changed, and it's good that we're constantly changing. Josh said once that stagnation is really the only thing to fear. So listen, I'm going to get us right into this episode because I'm beyond excited for you to hear this, but please note that I was a little bit nervous before I was recording this, a lot nervous maybe, but then I started to talk to Josh on the phone and I completely relaxed. I calmed down, everything was good, I felt like I was just chatting with a friend that I knew really well, but then... About an hour into the conversation, I started to get anxious again because I realized it went by so fast that I had been recording for an hour and I didn't know how long I had him and I had so many questions I wanted to ask, but luckily I had plenty of time. He stayed almost three hours and let me ask all the questions I wanted to ask, although I probably could have asked more. Anyway, so you have a very tangential conversation ahead of you, which spans through a bunch of topics. And in the middle, he reads this quote from a Holocaust survivor, which he said I could edit out because it was long and dense, which it was. But I, of course, kept it in because I really liked it. And I think you will too. So I kept this conversation completely unedited, long form, and I hope you like it. I really think that you will. I loved it. All right. Oh, And I almost forgot about all the announcement stuff. So if you like this episode, if you like this podcast and you want to help me to be able to keep doing it, it would be so great if you supported the show. There's a multitude of ways you can support the show and the first one doesn't cost any money at all and really doesn't take much time, but just tell a friend about it. It would be so cool if you could send this episode or another episode that you like to a friend that you think it would help or you think they would find it interesting or give them something for their long commute. That would be really nice of you and it's really nice in general because it helps the show grow. Another way is you can leave a review on iTunes. It helps a ton and shout out to everyone who's left a review so far. They're so nice. Thank you. And also subscribing to the show on iTunes. Oh, and if you are leaving a review, I just found out you can leave reviews on your phone. You don't even have to fire up the laptop, which is wonderful. So do that. And also you can subscribe on whatever device you listen to. That's just like giving the show a high five when you press that button. And I'm so grateful to everyone who subscribed. This show 
is one of the it you know it is the favorite thing that I do in my life. I've met so many real life friends that have become people in my life I'm so grateful for as a result of these conversations that I get to have. So I want to be able to keep having them. So thank you for supporting it. And feel free to use the Amazon link. That's another way you can support the show. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but Amazon throws a couple pennies my way. And again, you know Amazon. You love Amazon. That's an easy way to support the show. You can also sign up for my newsletter, which I've completely switched up the way I'm sending those out recently. I'm sending out these really personal notes of what's happening with me in real time and what's inspiring me and what I'm learning in real time, which speaking of, you will also really like the newsletter, the Muse letter, that's what Josh is calling his, and he sends out this Muse letter every so often and it's fantastic. You must sign up for it. If you like this episode and the things we talk about, you will love the newsletter that he sends out. I'll put the link where you can sign up for that in the show notes, as long as a bunch of the other things that we talk about. But anyway, sign up for the newsletter. Last week, I talked about my relationship with exercise and how that's grown and changed. And I mentioned my best friend, Amanda's new program that she's making that we're shooting the videos in my apartment. And it's it's really cool. So if you want to sign up for that, the link for that will be in the show notes. And that's all I have to say. That was a lot of announcements. This was a very long intro for a very long episode. But you know what? This is a dream come true episode. I really wanted to have Josh on my podcast. It happened. Here he is. Enjoy my conversation with Josh Radner. Well, I'm so excited that you're here, and this is going to be so much fun. Like I said, I I love your work, and I'm so excited to be able to have this tangential conversation. And I've been—it's been a really great couple of days preparing for this because I was like, I want to listen to him on every other podcast that you've ever been on, so I don't ask <laughs> the same questions over and over. And it was just cool to spend time with you over the last. Oh, couple nice! Of days. That's yeah. so lovely. Here, and Thanks. I was I was listening to you on Marin and on. Pete Holmes, who I know we both really love his his show, and um, and I was like, man, like I want to just have a really organic conversation like they do, but at the same time, I have so many things I want to talk to you about, and so many I have these like copious notes I took that I want to ask you about stuff too. Yeah, so. lead the way. I mean, we'll, I'm sure it'll <laughs> I'm sure it'll unspool as it's supposed to. Yeah, I'm sure it will. So yeah. um, the one thing that I know we have in common um, is that. And really a reason like I love hosting the podcast is that I can just go deep with people right away the first time I ever speak to them because just because other people are apparently listening, which is like the reason I host the podcast. But I would love to know what you're learning right now and what you're most passionate about today. I figure we could start in the present. <laughs> oh, man. Um yeah, I, I guess what you're saying is um, this gives you an opportunity to avoid small talk, which is something that I also <laughs> feel is uh, I, I I don't I, I I get a little bored with like where are you from? You have sisters? I mean, those are all interesting questions, but I like kind of diving in. So yeah, why don't we same. do that? The what podcast is a good excuse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What am I learning lately? Um, well, I you know. There's so much. Um, I think I, I, I'm learning a lot about forgiveness, about 
mostly self-forgiveness, I would say, and um, patience. I'm, I feel like I'm always getting deep, deep, deep lesson, lessons in patience. And I think it's a, um, it's like one of the most annoying virtues to get lessons in, but yeah. it's also like the most <laughs> kind of fruitful. I think someone said, you know, um, patience is a bitter virtue, but its fruits are sweet. Mm. You know, like, um, so I feel, I, you know, I'm being a little cryptic, but I, I without going into too much detail, I feel uh, I, I'm getting massive lessons in that. And also kind of um, just being my own, like listening to that GPS that's internal rather than being swayed by, I'm having a situation where um, two sides are kind of whispering in my ear about something that might have happened that doesn't directly involve me, but it kind of does. And just, just kind of really trying to sit still and not make any sudden moves in any direction. And what's the difference between, um, you know, uh, being patient with yourself and not making any sudden moves and also not being spineless. Um, so yeah. And, um, I suppose, I, you know, I just, I finished this book by Richard Rohr, who was on Pete's podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hear that. That? yeah, yeah that. wonderful. He has this book called Falling Upwards, and it's so terrific. I really recommend it. But I just finished it, and it's all about, he calls it the spirituality for the two halves of life. And the first half is all about um, where it's called the loyal soldier, where we're um, kind of, uh, you know, um, dutiful and rule following and bound in by strictures and structures and doing all this stuff because we're kind of told and we're wanting to be good sons and daughters and all this stuff. And the second half of life is um, a welcoming in a paradox that things can be one thing, one, one thing can be true and another thing can also be true that seems like it's the opposite. Or, uh, and this is something that really struck me is like a sense that, that there's a deeply tragic dimension to life that you've experienced some deep, deep, deep sadness. Um, but at the same time, there's this hum of okayness underneath it all, that you know you're okay and every, that, that other people will be okay. Um, that's another kind of paradoxical thing to hold. And um, uh, yeah, just basically what he's talking about is the second half of life is where you become an elder. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm being encouraged on some level to let go as always of like certain childish preoccupations um, and step into the very, very first footsteps onto like eldership or, you know, because I think that's something that's missing in our society is this sense that there are older people who have some genuine wisdom and they can act as tempering influences on some of the madness we see around us because, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard time right now. I'm sure you're feeling that like it doesn't, you know, the, the, no amount of um, kind of heroic optimism can can take away the headlines that are like yeah. really ghastly. So, like, how do we not be Pollyannas in our optimism? But how do we have like up like a hard earned, um, uh, non cynical kind of forward momentum that we stay with? Yeah, and I think I, I know for me, and I feel like a kindred spirit with you and that you might be the same way, but I'm a big overthinker and I have to really, I think it serves me in in some ways, but in other ways it it can be that situation that you were talking about. It must be challenging with those two sides of things, but that quote that you, or what you were mentioning about Richard Rohr, the fact that two things can be true at the same time. I find that so comforting for that type of a mind. 
Yeah, it's that um, Fitzgerald thing um, about you know the mark of a first-rate intelligence is to be able to hold two contrasting ideas yeah. without, without losing your mind or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna. I haven't read his book yet, but I'm really excited to read Richard Rohr's book now that you recommended it. It's been oh, yeah. it's on my really, list for a while. He's. I, I'm really taken with him. I, I would love to talk with him. I just feel like he. Um, he's so not a reactionary demagogue kind of, you know, he's, he's yeah. like, like, I feel like those kinds of people are kind of a much needed antidote to what's going on right now, which is this, this kind of, um, partisan rancor and this, you know, all the nativism and nationalism and, you know, drawing up uh, camps and, um, hating everyone who disagrees with us. I mean, it's yeah. really, that's re what you're seeing really there in Richard Rohr's parlance is like, that's first half of life stuff kind mm. of run talk and we don't have enough of the like I said like that tempering influence um, so um, I I just think he's he's for me right now he, that was a very healing book to read yeah yeah I, I think it's a timely and sounds comforting in a lot of ways yeah yeah do you know Caroline Mace and her book about archetypes I've come across her. I never. I don't think I've. I don't think I've read a. I haven't read a full book of hers. But um, I might have like given one as a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It. Well, it just yeah. made me think of it a little bit when you were talking about the elder conversation because she has these different archetypes. Um, and there's kind of like, not not really like a personality test, but different quizzes, sort of within the book. But when you just kind of read it, and it kind of reminded me of of that elder, that mentor personality and how that must that can change you know over time and like the different wisdom that you must accumulate as you grow up and and that's a a theme that I wrote down to actually talk to you about anyway with um that comes up in liberal arts about never fully feeling like an adult you know never feeling like you're more than 19 and right. I know that you know I feel that way now and I felt, and I'm 26, and I still feel like I'm 19, and I've talked about that so many times um, with other people, and everybody rings true to that line. I think it was so great that it was in the movie. Do you still find that true now? You know, why do you think adulthood is this kind of myth that we have, and we cling to this time in our lives where we were more unmolded clay that could go into any direction, and we, like, look at that with such nostalgia? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things. You know, it's funny when I um, talk to my friends. I don't have kids, but my I have a lot of friends who have kids, and they once they have kids, they realize like very quickly that their parents had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> like, like yeah. they were just winging it, just like they're winging it. And when you're a kid, obviously, it's like these people are three times your size. They're giving you food and shelter, and they're gods to you. And um, so it, you you assume they actually know what they're doing, but the the truth is, like, we don't. And if we don't, you know, gather some wisdom along the way from 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 elders and and from you know wisdom traditions, I think we do ourselves a real disservice. It's like there is there, there is people have people in human history have cracked some like great truths and laws, like they just have. And they're available to us, but but they seem to be 
forgotten in every generation. Like every generation has to go through the growing pains of learning them. And maybe it has something to do with the fact that we don't learn unless we experience something. Like we can't, you know, college is really interesting because you, you get packed with information. Some of it is really high level stuff that is usable, but you don't know what it is until you finally have to start putting it into action, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Wait, I've lost the thread of your question. You were talking. Oh, you're talking about the 19-year-old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was just talking with someone about this. That that um, just from an acting perspective, um, when I got out of grad school, um, I didn't know what kind of actor I was going to be or what what my career was going to look like. I had some vague sense slash hope that it would be a good career, but I didn't know if I would be a regional theater actor who ended up on Broadway or have an indie film that kind of hit or if I could even be in film or, it, you know, it turned out to be the thing that brought me to attention was the sitcom, which was not what my plan was. But I had, I have to, um, I have to now kind of, that's part of my history. And there was a little bit of sadness when it starts, when things start to coalesce because there's a narrowing that goes on. I think that's what Jesse says to Zibby. Like when I was in college, everything was in front of me. Mm-hmm. And now it's like your choices as you get older just become consequential. And it doesn't mean that you made the wrong choice. It just means your next choices will be standing on the shoulders of the previous choices. And, and there's a little bit of a sadness in kind of giving up the blank slate of it all. Yeah. You know, and that you're also, you also realize you didn't, you weren't at your best, you know, like, it's it's easy to, I don't know, this is just the metaphor that's coming to me, but it, like, it's easy to like stay at home and imagine you would have not said the wrong thing at the party, but you went to the party and you like had some weird conversations and some good conversations, and it was like a more complicated affair than you realized. And I find like we can all be heroes in our own head, but like the, the like life scuffs you up and it's a little bit messy. And you're and if you're doing it, you're gonna get your hands dirty. You're gonna have regrets. You're gonna have relationships that didn't work. You're gonna say the wrong thing. You're gonna be less than your best self. And that's, I guess, where that that kind of notion of forgiveness comes in. Like, how can we move forward with some sense of purpose and agency without wanting to isolate and be agoraphobic and just hide? Like, um, you know, it's a. I I I think life is like really gorgeous but there's also an ache underneath it and I think sometimes with my movies Mm. I'm trying to um trying to convince myself that I can be okay and I can be better like this this was really fascinating a couple of um about uh, like last week I found an old journal that I'd been keeping on my computer since started in 1998 and I started I was writing it through like 2012 and some day, some days, like a year would go by and I wouldn't write in it. wasn't, it, but it was a longish document. And in 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2003, I was really writing a lot in it. And one of the things that I found that was so shocking to me was that I would, I would veer between like a kind of grandiosity and a kind of self-loathing sometimes in the same paragraph. Yeah, isn't that and, funny? You know, just these wild mood swings of, of self-perception. And then, but what I really was struck by was how good I got at talking myself into a better space around being a young actor in New York City. Because I would get knocked down, I'd have audition after audition, and they wouldn't go my way, or I'd get close to things and wouldn't get them. And I would just come home feeling really spent and really down. 
but I found that I, I, was, I got really good at talking myself out of my funk, talking myself into lessening the amount of time where I had to be down. Um, like I wrote, at one point I, I wrote, um, don't be in such a hurry, Rome wasn't built its first year out of grad school. Mm. And, you, you know, just, just this, this positive, I was like yeah. giving myself pep talks. Yeah, self-therapy. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I realized that how healthy that was and how, I always tell people, and this is probably true not just outside of acting, but I always tell people there's training to be an actor and there's talent. That's mm. one thing that will not give you a career. There's this whole other side thing of like your psychology and your resilience and your vigilance that they do not teach you in drama school. Like how are you going to be in the day-to-day -day trenches of like what you tell yourself and the, what meaning you make out of the things that happen or don't happen? Like that is really key. And I think if you look that that's probably a theme in my movies. Yeah. 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 Oh man, so much good stuff there. I feel like the the big thing that you, you know, it would be so, I just keep thinking this whole time, I love listening to you talk, you're very articulate and you have so much wisdom and quotes and, and knowledge that you collage in this beautiful way when you speak. And so I was like, dude, he needs to start a podcast. And then you could talk to Richard Rohr and you could talk <laughs> to people about this whole other side of it, the mindset side, which you've really trained yourself, like you said, but they don't teach you. And then also, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge journaler and a journaling enthusiast, I yeah, like you to wrote say. a whole book about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not an extra expert, but I'm a cheerleader of journaling. And I people always ask me, you know, why, why do you journal? You know, why is it something that is worth doing? And I really think that exact thing that you just shared about how you can self-soothe down the page, you know, sometimes just letting it out of your mind, getting it onto the page, seeing it, you can become your own inner mentor and mm -hmm. therapist or whatever. And be your own best friend and it also helps with the self-awareness piece which i think is so key to changing anything so right. it really helps with the mindset i think that's so brilliant and what a cool thing that you found that recently i know and then also i think it's i think it's um it's not something a lot of people acknowledge but even the most kind of sane person if they really self-observe will see that they're filled with contradictory impulses and like uh, wild mood swings and and um it, it, you know like i love him i hate him i'm cold i'm hot like like our mind like i always say the inmates have the run of the asylum like it yeah. really is um it's really kind of mad in the in the head and there's something about getting it out on the page and even if you just see how crazy you are that's valuable mm -hmm. you know because it's kind of like um whatever spensky or someone says you know Igno like acknowledging that you're asleep is like the beginning of awakening. Yeah. Like you kind of have to like really take full stock of what what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It, Liz Gilbert says it. Our minds are not a place that we want to walk around alone in at night right, 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 or whatever. Yeah. And I think also too, you know, for me, I think in your twenties and I'm sure in general in, in your entire life, we change so quickly. You know, I think my twenties have been like the second adolescence that nobody really tells you about that. You're just constantly changing. Like I'm probably a different person than the beginning of this podcast and like, I'll be different right. on Saturday, but right. you can see that. I think when you're journaling or you're doing any sort of internal practice, TM or whatever, where you're having to face yourself because I think 
especially with, with technology, we're so often not wanting to be with ourselves that we cope instead. And so we're yeah, yeah, on yeah. our phones or we're watching TV or we're doing other things, which is fine. And I think coping mechanisms are brilliant and we need them sometimes. But eventually you have to feel our feelings and we don't want to feel our feelings a lot of times. So we yeah. avoid them. Well, I, I've also noticed that a lot of um, kind of growing up or growing or, or, or kind of waking up on some level is like you you have to acquaint yourself with the death process like you actually have to say there are parts of me dying and not only let them die but but encourage them to die and a lot of people don't want to do that because it is loss but at the same time like when something dies you know nature hates a vacuum like something else gets born and i remember i ran into this kid i went to high school with this is like 10 years ago 9 years ago and um he like kind of pulled me aside and he'd had a couple of drinks and he was like, I'm telling you, Adam, I'm just, I'm the same guy I was in high school. I haven't changed at all. I haven't changed at all. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that's the saddest thing I've ever yeah. heard. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I just read a Muhammad Ali said, you know, if you're, if you're 50 and you still have the same, you know, um, kind of worldview as you did at 20, like you've wasted 30 years. And I think it's like, on some, some things are easier for us to kind of step into and allow for as we get older. And other things are, are hard, like even just allowing that um, you don't have all the time in the world. Like when you hit 40, you go, huh, like am I going to do the great thing I thought I was going to do? Am I going to be the person I wanted to be? Like it's, it, you, 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 I've actually talked to a couple friends who are my age and we're all kind of going, Man, when we were younger, life seemed so long, and now we're finally understanding what it means when people say life is really short. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that until you're like, time is just, I don't know what it's doing. It's, it's very strange. It's like days can be endless and years fly by. Like, it's really, it's really baffling. Um, but I have noticed that the more I can kind of, it, it sounds a little grisly, but the more I can acquaint myself with death, and by that I mean, letting go of old versions of me and visions of what I thought was true. Like, I, you know, that, that thing in Happy Thank You More, please, is said, like, every five years you realize what an idiot you yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, so, I wrote that And I feel, like, I feel like I kind of put that in my movie as a little bit of a, like, Easter egg to myself. Like, you believe everything you're writing in this movie, but in five years you might not. And I couldn't make that movie now. Like, I don't, I'm super happy I made that movie. I love that movie, and I'm, I'm happy people discover it and everything, but it's not, it's not, those themes aren't up for me as urgently as they were when I was working on that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's interesting because the publishing process or putting any creative work out there that isn't, I guess, like a blog that you can change or it's editable. You, you, and it it was, it's always been the case like this with looking back at yourself. I remember being in like fifth grade and looking back at my second grade self and like cringing you know and so (laughs) yeah even this this book that I put out just a couple months ago the publishing process took so long and I wrote the book like over two years ago and so even though it you know I still stand by it and it's it's great but it's so who I was two years ago you know and I'm sure that's how you feel it's like the tyranny of writing in the first person right right Yeah. Yeah. yeah And this kind of speaks to what we're talking about, and and I think I've heard you talk about this before, but that interesting thing that happened, and I think this kind of speaks to what you're saying about, you know, with getting older, but 
I've recently realized, you know, you're not the youngest one in the room anymore and you're kind of doing things at the expected adult time to be doing things. And I think Happy Thank You More Please addresses this theme a lot throughout the movie, but um, in, in liberal arts too, I guess, but maybe you could speak to that moment in life and how you deal with feeling like you have all of these dreams and aspirations and you're no longer a prodigy, you're just making work at the normal rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, I was obsessed with that idea a couple of years ago. I was writing a short story. This is years ago, but it was something like just this notion that you were too young to be, you were too old to be a prodigy. Yeah. Like you suddenly cross that line and it's like, now if you make something great, it's like, great, you're an adult who made something great. You're not like yeah. a whiz kid. Right. Um, and that's another death. You know, the death of, like, mm. you're not a prodigy. Um, I think that when, um, you know, we, you get to a certain age and um, things become a little less sexy, for lack of a better word. Like, you, you know, like, not every, the, a lot of the business of what I do is literally just sitting at my laptop and kind of slaving over, like agonizing over sentences or dialogue or plot points. or And it's not all that glamorous in some ways. Like a movie premiere at Sundance has, has a certain glamour, but it also will never kind of give you what you're looking for because it's yeah. so fleeting. So to to fall in love with the like the work, like the actual, what the Buddhists call, you know, chop wood, carry water, mm-hmm. like, like literally just getting, falling in love with the, the kind of um, basics of, of waking up, knowing you have something to say and you have the, 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 the skills and the platform to say it um, is an incredible thing. I mean, I think um, there, there was something uh, that my acting teacher at NYU used to say. It was actually Olympi- Olympia Dukakis who used to teach at NYU. And she said this to, to them, that the reasons you become an actor are not the reasons you stay an actor. So it's like you maybe you you know, didn't get a lot of attention when you were a kid or it was the only way your, you know, parent would pay attention to you when you were in a play or something that is like maybe born of a little bit of damage or something. But but by the time you're 25, 35, 45, and maybe even every decade, you have to reassess why you're doing it or anything for that matter um, and what keeps you doing it. And I know for me, the reasons I wanted to become an actor are so not the reasons I'm still an actor. And the reasons I wanted to write are so not the reasons I'm currently writing. So there's this reassessment process that has to happen when you step into a more kind of adult space. Um, I think I veered a little bit off your question, but I feel like that's in the neighborhood of what we were talking about. No, that was great. I think something that you mentioned at the beginning of that was just about how all of the parts of something aren't glamorous. And I was feeling really lazy recently and then I heard this quote from somebody about you know you never they never I think it's maybe Stephen King anyway they said he doesn't like writing he likes having written and I think that really kind of changed everything for me I was like oh it's not just me you know sometimes like that time in the chair actually doing it isn't as glamorous as the idea coming in and catching the idea or you know the putting it out in the world and seeing what happens like those things are maybe why we do it but then it's the actual monotonous part of it that you have to really push yourself yeah I mean do. that's where the, the pros like know how to sit in the discomfort I mean some days writing for me 
is so antidepressive. Like if I have a good day of writing, it's exhilarating. Yeah. And then there are other days where, I mean, this is a gross analogy, but it's like passing a kidney stone. Oh, where, where, I've done that. It's terrible. You're like, you're like this thing is like moving out of me and it's painful but there's also this sweet relief when when something actually does happen i mean i if i get if i can get two or three good sentences or a paragraph in a day i'm writing a book right now and it's like if 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 that happens like i'll call it a good day's work you know yeah. like i'm not so precious that i need to write two or three thousand words a day or anything um stephen king's book on writing though is terrific have you read it no i actually i just heard him interviewed on um, fresh air and like the writer's book of all the fresh air interviews. And he was talking about, it must've been that book. Cause I think it was from a couple of years ago, but I really want to read it. Yeah, it's excellent. And I think, I think it's, um, you know, writer, that's a, that's a very common thing among writers. It's like, there's a lot of writers that don't like writing. I actually like writing when I feel that something is coming out of me that feels like it wants to like it, like, and, and, when that ease kind of happens where you're like, wow, I'm not entirely in control of this process. That's why I love the Elizabeth Gilbert kind of, you know, Ted talk on, mm -hmm. on creativity and genius being this like exogenous force that you're partnering with. Yeah. I found that there's something psychologically healthy about that and also true about that. And I think, um, sometimes I'll look at things I've written and I'll think, I don't, it, I don't know that this is mine exactly. Like this just, and not to be too, you know, woo-woo about it, but, but there is that beautiful moment when something comes through kind of just the way you would have hoped, but a little bit better, yeah. you know, or, or it's what athletes call flow. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Steph Curry, like, sinks a couple shots where he's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was good. Where'd that come from? Where'd yeah. that come from? Exactly. Yeah, totally. I can we talk can we stay in this a little more? I would love to hear some yeah. of your writing practices and some of the, you know, if you have any traditions or anything lately and also congrats on the book. I'm so excited and I can't wait to read it. But oh, um yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about your writing process for that and, and just in general. Well, I wrote a book a couple years ago and I sold it. Um, to a publisher and I, I got part of an advance and it was happening and, and for a variety of reasons, some of which I will go into and some of which I won't, I returned the advance and didn't publish the book. Um, was I, it a novel? Can you say what? No, no, it was, it was kind of memoir adjacent. Um, it, was, it, it was written in the first person. It was very um, kind of it was honest. It was an honest book, but uh, but at the same, you know, the kind of five years later, I look back at some of it, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, thank God that didn't go out in the world because I feel like I would have been having to defend things that I, that I no longer believe. Mm. But I also I also saw that my fuel for it was part of my fuel was a little misplaced, and um, and and I I I think it. it yeah, I don't know how much I want to go into this because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write a little bit about this, like why I didn't publish this. Yeah, first, no worries. Why, why I'm giving it another go, but um, I I was ha having some changes in my life that were extraordinary, and I I knew that I that was another thing about reading those journals was I was as interested in myself as an actor as I was as a writer. Like I was constantly saying, you know feel how good your fingers feel moving on these keyboards, formulating thoughts, like remember this, because I think I was a little haunted by all the hours I wasn't writing. That's how I know 
I, I'm a writer kind of I have writer DNA because I'm always thinking I should be writing. Yeah, um, everything is copy. Uh, no, not quite that. Just more like um, I don't like wasting time. Like like I I feel like I need to get my hours in in the day mm-hmm. of writing. Um, but I I I try to um, I try to let a better version of myself take over when I'm writing. Um, because I'm writing stuff that is almost like I said, like in those journals, like a pep talk to myself, I try to be really honest with where I'm at, but also honest about where I know I could be. And I, and this, this taps into a little more of like my filmmaking philosophy, which is that we don't really talk about virtue much anymore. Like, um, I heard these two words that I thought were so terrific, um, just in terms of thinking about. Um, a guiding, guiding philosophy for life. They were decency and dignity. Mm. And I was thinking, wow, we do not talk about those words. Like those are not words that are considered um, revenue generating or headline grabbing. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Like we're yeah. so more interested in being provocative and yeah. interesting and transgressive. And I, this is another thing that started to happen to me the older I'm getting. I'm like, am I becoming like a old fogey conservative (laughs) like my politics still leans left but I also I do there is a lot about our culture that I think like what is this like what are we doing like what are we celebrating and so part of my guiding philosophy for creating things is I want to feel like I'm making stuff that is speaking to the latent parts of myself that are actually um, aspirationally good and not the parts of myself that are you know, want to rubberneck the, the the latest calamity or atrocious thing that someone said, um, but um, you know, it's like the the um, I was taught by a teacher that um, psychology is actually the world's oldest science, and it's the study of the psyche, the study of the soul, and it used to be the study of man's potential, like what, and that's where a lot of those myths came from. You know, Perseus and Theseus, and you, you know what a man conquering himself. Um, and now psychology is basically like about disorders. Like it's a it's it's stories about how we, we kind of sh- turn the spotlight in and we say, oh look how terrible and miserable we are. All of which is not uh, it's not uh, an unworthy story to tell. But I feel like don't stop there. Like like show characters like getting out of it or transforming. You know, someone yeah. asked me, would you make a movie about a heroin addict? And I said, of course, but I'd want to watch them get sober. Right. Like that's more interesting to me. I'm not interested in the, you know, the thing, the 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 just watching people go down the drain more and more and more. I'm not super interested in like how evil we could be because a I feel like it's just not that interesting. B I think it encourages the worst parts of ourselves. And C I don't I don't even know if it's true. Ultimately, I think we have to be careful about the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. So. I don't know why, but I'm oriented towards like wanting to um, tell stories that are more about transformation and more about growth. And that's not in vogue, I don't think necessarily, but I realized when Happy Thank You More Please was at Sundance and it was getting standing ovations and you couldn't get a ticket and it won the audience award. And then it won the audience award at like every festival it played at and then it came out and critics were just horrible to it. And I was like, oh, 
I must really be on to something. <laughs> like, it made me feel like I know people like this movie. I know people's hearts are, are open by this movie. Yeah. And there's uh, this apparatus that is like, no. Like, this is not art. This is not, um, this is not sophisticated. And then I realized that I, I had stumbled almost accidentally into this cultural fault line where, I, where there was this hunger for, for people to be told, like, everything's going to be okay and we can do better than this. Like an actual hunger for someone to stand up and say that. And yet, uh, the, the, the kind of cultural gatekeepers are like, no, that's not what's sophisticated, that's not what's cool, that's not what's interesting. And, um, and so I, I just decided to double down on it rather than um, being someone who... Uh, um, is like well, I guess I guess my vision isn't valid. I was like, no, I think my vision's actually quite valid, and I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, you said once your movies are about people becoming more themselves, and mm. or getting better at being themselves. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to quote you to you, mm. um, but yeah, I loved that so much, um, and I, the, that's what's interesting to me too. And I think stories that aren't about that or the for using your example, like the heroin addict, not about them getting sober seems incomplete to me. It seems like that's not a full story. That's a beginning of a story. Right. And it's also not, it doesn't even go with the kind of archetypal, uh, you know, hero's journey, which is, which is like, yes, leave home, go into the dark wood, confront the darkness, but be transformed and then return home different. So, I feel like there's, it's almost like not honoring where stories really want to go we, we, internally, like where we need them to go to feel the catharsis. And also to leave feeling, like my favorite movies are movies where I leave feeling excited about life and excited about yeah. art, excited about the possibility of something like more interesting. Um, because I, I think we're in a moment, I don't know what's going on. I, I can't diagnose it entirely in this moment, but like, whatever's going on right now feels um it's brutal you know it's it's really um you know words like hope and love and possibility are like considered cliche and are you know as if as if only rubes talk about those things or uh you know the blindly religious or 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 the kind of um these pollyanna things and i and i feel like wow, I really wish we could talk about them from a sober, practical place that is not, um, it's not swatted away so easily. Yeah. You know? Well, we can on my podcast. Yeah, no, that's why, <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think having conversations like this, and I, that's why I love the long-form conversation, because I feel like you can really whisper these things right into people's ears, and like you were saying before, we're so porous, you know, it all goes right in, and mm -hmm. I, that's why I love that's why your work is so meaningful to me and I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation and that you're making more of it with, with what you're writing. But so going back to the writing process a little bit, any specifics like practical things with your process? Are you a morning writer, an evening writer? Um, do you, you know, write in spurts or longer periods and take breaks? I'm really curious about that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, well, I always try to get a meditation in the morning um, before I write and uh, something that's really good for me but I don't do it a lot is to you know go on a walk or hike or jog before I write and I kind of come back with with a lot of energy but I 
a lot of times I'll just I'll just park it and um, get some caffeine going and just kind of go. Um, I really am in a fight with not engaging with the world before I've done some writing. I think it's a common thing, you know, like I, I actually heard I, there might even be a book called don't check your email first thing in the morning. <laughs> like it's yeah. like so literal because they say it puts you in a reactive mode rather than a yeah. proactive mode. Um, and I've really found that to be true. And, um, but sometimes there, there's this pull. I mean, this is why I, I really think we're all, we're, we're living in a, um, everyone's an addict right now yeah. to all this stuff. And, um, so I'm trying to, you know, I try to observe that and see, and some days I, I really can do stuff and other days it's, it's, it's not, I don't, I, I probably could sit in the discomfort of like the blinking cursor a little bit more. Like I tend to reach for, like you said, like a coping, like maybe just one more article about how bad Donald Trump is will then set me on the right path <laughs> to writing. And it rarely does, you know, it actually is a drain of my energy. Um, but sometimes I'll get in a groove and I'll write and then I'll go on a hike and write more stuff into my phone as I'm thinking of it and then I come back and I write a little bit more like when I when I um, have my teeth in something it's a it's a kind of round the clock thing other times it's a little bit more okay I I put in some hours this morning it's now I can go on with my day Um, but if I if I do have a good writing day I I feel much freer to um, just do things Um, but a lot of times you know I write uh, I'll write little fragments when they occur to me and then try to pound them into shape. Um, sometimes I'll have a pre-existing thing that I feel like needs to be expanded. Um, I just, I just w- work really hard on two chapters in my book and I don't quite know where to go right now. Um, also because I, um, I'm kind of waiting for notes from my editor. So I kind of want to see if she thinks I'm onto something. Um, so I'm in a bit of a holding pattern in the moment, but, uh, I still feel, there's so much uh, that that needs to be written, and I'm also I'm still writing, you know, screenplays and TV shows. So I I, I have more than enough to write. Um, it's just a matter of uh, just finding the time to do it. And and I and I like to think that the stuff that really wants to be written just gets written. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how when you are on to something and you're just in the flow like we were talking about before I find that like my legs are falling asleep I haven't gotten up to go to the bathroom and I just want to like yeah sit there I, and I get like uh, food t- comes to be like an annoyance like when I'm <laughs> when I'm in a groove yeah be, my god I have to eat because I'm like shaking with hunger and yet I I don't want to leave this moment um and then I also feel like when I after I eat I'm always a, just a touch less Totally. I relate to that so much. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And that's why the first thing in the morning time can be so powerful. I I know for me, I'll always, I never let myself finish unless I had like the idea or the prompt kind of a thing of where I want to go the next day. So then I didn't, because there's so much like, there's so much to be written. There's so much I could do. Where do I even start that overwhelm? So I like to like have a a spot that I can get excited about getting out of bed to do. That's, you know? I think that's a Hemingway trick where he talked about um, if you know where you're headed at the end of the day, save it for the morning. Mm. And I think that's so smart. I don't really, I don't really, I haven't really utilized that. Although I'm, I'm really taken with, um, have you read Bird by Bird, Anne Lamott? No, I haven't read it. I've wanted to though. Another yeah. one on my list. I mean, the gist <laughs> is like, 
you, you know, I think it was her, her brother when he was younger was supposed to do this book report on birds and he was supposed to be working on it all semester and he waited until the last night and he's just sitting there kind of tears in his eyes with, with stacks of bird books in front of him and his mm-hmm. father came up behind him and just put his arms on his hands on his shoulders and said, just take it bird by bird, son, bird <laughs> by bird. And that's her whole theory about writing is you do these little projects, you know. If you think about writing a novel, you're not going to write it because it's too daunting. But if you think about, uh, you know, a man walks into a bar and sees a woman in a white hat, like, like, just describe that. Like, okay, okay, that's your project. Man walks into a bar, sees a woman with a white hat. Um, and th- and then go on to the next project. Like, like just it, m- break it down into kind of bite-sized bits. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is so good. I love talking about writing like this from you. It's great. So this is sort of a um, different topic, but you said something on Mark Maron's podcast that really stuck with me. And you were saying... Which is kind of funny that I'm, I'm talking about something that I think you did a couple of years ago from our the earlier part of our conversation and how quickly we change. But I hopefully you'll still stand by this, or if not, that'll be interesting too. But basically, <laughs> you, you were saying that um, you, when you were starting with acting, sometimes you can generate it for yourself by feeling good enough from other people believing in you, mentors and, and other people. And you brought it up really in the context of career, but I think it can just be true for our entire life. And you were saying, you know, when you were 19 in like a summer theater program, two actors separately told you that, you know, you were you're going to be an actor and that really validated you in this way. Yeah, yeah. And so hearing that and you you put that in you somewhere for a rainy day and I've done that with certain compliments from mentors or milestones and I've let them validate me but how do you do kind of the opposite and generate that enoughness enoughness from yourself and not being dependent on outside things or or other people as you've gotten older yeah yeah that's a great question I mean yeah I'll do my best (laughs) (laughs) I mean I think that the baton does have to be passed. Do you know what I mean? From from that uh, validation seeking or hunger uh, to um, I like that term enoughness. You know, and uh, how do you how do you find that within? I mean, some of it will be you've done enough that it just is like like I can walk into a room now for a meeting with a director or even meeting potential actors for a movie I might be directing. And I have enough wind at my sails just in terms of experience and miles in the saddle where mm-hmm. I can talk with a certain level of confidence. I mean, look, I'm, I'm scared all the time. I mean, if you're doing a new thing, you're going to be justifiably scared, and that's a good feeling. Like sometimes it's good to walk away from things that actually don't scare you. Um, but at the same time, you you, you start to get a sense that well, you've been. I've been doing this since 1999, and um, I've never had to get another job doing it. So I know that I'm a statistic improbability. So I know that um, you know I've, I'm in the pros. Like I'm, I'm a professional at this, and and um, just just having that sense that you're um, where you belong. Because one of the things about um, I'm sure it's it's true for for writers. It's true for actors. Is there's this sense of like, well, who am I to think I can do this? Like, why 
why do I think I belong? And there's this feeling that you're like outside the velvet rope. You know, they're not letting you in. And then you question, do I deserve to be in? But at a certain point, you've been invited in enough that you go, oh, I guess this is like who I am and what I'm good at. And then you let that fuel you. But, but at the same time, when you are younger, those little moments of, of someone winking at you or, or it feels like you're, you're, you're kind of being given the secret handshake because it's so mystifying, like, who gets to be a published writer? Who gets to be an actor that professionally does it? Like, it feels mysterious, especially me. I was coming from Ohio. I didn't know anyone in the business, you know? Um, but, uh, I, like, a mentor of mine who directed me at NYU, and he was also ran a summer program at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, where I was one summer, um, he died last year, and he was a beautiful, beautiful man. And we had a, a kind of wake for him at at NYU with uh, NYU and Juilliard students because he uh, and University of Utah where he also taught <clears throat> and when I spoke about him I said you know when I was with when I was learning from Ken I didn't know that I could be an actor or I didn't have the faith that I could be an actor but I always knew that Ken thought I could be an actor like like until I had metabolized that knowledge myself I did have to delegate it to other people but luckily, there were people that were generous enough to hold that for me and say, yeah, you, you can absolutely do this. And, I, and I, you know, people have pointed out to me over the years, and, and it, it's not even something I realize, but it's 100% a theme of my movies is mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, that friends are, are step in when a friend is down. Um, but there's also, you know, different um, cross-generational kind of mentorships, certainly in liberal arts. Um, there, it, but it's in both movies. And another movie I have ready to go 100% it's in there and a fourth movie I have ready to go it's also in there so I think yay um, more movies yeah yeah Uh, it just means something to me to to because I've I've felt the um, the grace of a person saying the right thing at the right time and I've also been used for that purpose for other people and it feels dramatic to me it feels like and it's also again it's archetypal I mean who is Yoda and Obi-Wan if not their mentors yeah yeah no I I love those themes and I'm so grateful for all the mentors I have in my life people that I've met or met through this podcast and people that I haven't met like I consider you a mentor through your work and I think you can now with the internet that's one really awesome thing that anybody can kind of be your mentor just from being a connoisseur of their work and following them in that way yeah it's kind of a um I always say like you know, choose your heroes wisely. Mm-hmm. Like it feels, um, we can, we can, we can choose so many lousy heroes. Like there's so many options out there. And, um, you know, it, like it's kind of, <clears throat> I don't know why this just strikes me that Oliver Stone made Wall Street and, um, it was a par- you know, it's kind of a parody. And then Michael Douglas says, greed is good. And clearly Oliver Stone was not advocating that position, but like then you have a generation of young wannabe stockbrokers who have pictures of Gordon Gecko on their walls and you think like, oh, that's like they chose the wrong hero. Like that's not the right <laughs> that's not the right hero. Yeah. You know? And um I think like how do you know if you're choosing the right hero is like how how do you feel like internally and if you feel anything other than like peace, like get a better hero. Yeah, there you go. That's such a good, uh, dis- not distinction, but it's such a good test to know. Yeah, like if, if they have, create more yeah. restlessness 
peace and hunger in you, then it's not, I don't think that's a good hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, peace. I think that's, yeah. that's kind of the thing to chase, to be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It might be the only thing. And, yeah. and in fact, I think, you know, I, 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 people toss the word happiness around a lot because I think I had it in my first movie just in the title. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm so much more an advocate for peace than happiness. because yeah, I totally. Like, happiness is, a, you know, you've got to pay for it on the other end on some level or it's a, like a spike, you know, and there's all sorts of chemical stuff at work. But, but peace has no opposite, right? Like, peace mm-hmm. is just, like, I'm here. Everything that comes my way I can accept. I'm of service. You know, there's a calmer dimension to it. Yeah, I think Deepak Chopra said once, happiness is divine discontent. And mm. he said that that is the way he defined it because it leaves room for the creative impulse. And it's so true. It's kind of what we've been talking about this entire conversation about, you know, I, I think you would agree with this. And I'm definitely happiest when I'm creating, when I've gotten a little bit of writing in or if I've, you know, done a podcast that was really great or whatever it is, had a conversation with someone that was a great conversation, just not recorded or whatever. And I think that that is peace, is that, you know, divine discontent of like, you know, wrestling with something. I think we actually do want. And I've been thinking about that a lot when it comes to nostalgia, where even things that when I was in it didn't feel comfortable and great, if you look back on them, you someday might become nostalgic for that. So I think it's like a great argument to be present because you never Mm -hmm. know if you're going to be nostalgic for right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. I, I, yeah. And somebody said, I don't know who said this, but somebody was like, nostalgia, if you're nostalgic for something, it means you weren't present when you were there the first time. I said that. Oh, you said that? (laughs) I said that. Uh, That's so funny. There's a great, um, Thing that Richard Greenberg. That doesn't surprise me at all. That that's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I'm just laughing uh, so hard right now. Yeah, uh, Richard Greenberg, who's a terrific playwright. I'm doing a play of his at Lincoln Center in the fall, and he had this quote where he said, "Nostalgia is simply a longing for a time you know you can survive." Mm. That's so Some, good too. You know, we're in the moment of like, I don't know if I can make my way through this. But yeah, I know I can make through that. Um, yeah, evidence. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm just not over the fact that I just quoted you to you on the phone. <laughs> like when Harry met Sally, remember when uh, Bruno yes. <laughs> Harry Fisher quotes from Bruno Kirby? Yeah. Oh my gosh, so funny. Oh my gosh. I hope I said that. I'm almost sure I said that. Well, for all these purposes. You know why you I know why I say that? Because I, um, I speak to a lot of colleges and they ask, like, do you have any advice for, like, how to, um, you know, be at a, uh, how to have our senior year, how to get the most out of our senior year. And I, I just talk to them about being really present and feeling their feet as they're walking across the quad and taking deep breaths and saying, like, yeah. this is happening, I'm here. And that if they don't, they're going to get hit with, like, a wave of nostalgia because they didn't appreciate it enough yeah. and they're going to be sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you definitely said it because I listen to a lot of your stuff and it would make sense that it's somewhere in my psyche. So you definitely right. said it. So, right, yeah. right. I've, I've incepted my way in. Yeah, so funny. Um, so another thing that I want to bring up to you that I'm, I'm curious about is, and you talk about this a little bit in Happy Thank You More Please through Mary Catherine and Charlie's storyline of the two different viewpoints when it comes to New York and L.A. and I'm a very spatially oriented person and I find that, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately, a big question for me right now is, 
you know, finding your home and figuring out where to live. And, and another thing we have in common is we're both Midwestern, and that's, a, you've said yourself, is a defining characteristic in you. And so mm-hmm. I'd love to know, you know, kind of what that means to you to be Midwestern. And then also, you know, what do you think about finding your home, having spent time in both New York and L.A. and, and traveling a lot and you're in Richmond today, you know, what do you think about finding your home, deciding where and when to move and, you know, practicing non-attachment when it comes to a place, but also it's it does become part of us in some way. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, well, first, uh, in terms of Midwesternness, um, yeah, there are a bunch of questions in there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Where are you from, Michigan? Yeah, Michigan. I live in Detroit yeah. now. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I thought I, I have, su- I place such a premium on just like basic kindness, and and that seems to be a Midwestern quality. Not that there are un- everyone else is unkind, but it just <laughs> seems to be like, you know, we'll take you in, we'll feed you. You know, there's a. Um, Come it's, on over. It's, yeah, it's, come on over. It's there's enough for everyone. There's a a politeness to it, which I also just value. Kind of basic manners, and I and I always get a little like weirdly shocked when I see rude people in the world. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, me too. All, didn't we all agree that we were going to be like courteous and nice to each other? But we didn't actually. That's what. That's just like my my own naivete. Um, but I think there's also, you know, there's a little. There's a little, you know, we're landlocked. Um, I don't know how that in, infuses our psychology, but um, there's a lot about uh, artists coming from smaller towns, you know, that, that, that kind of journey, you know, Shakespeare coming mm-hmm. from Stratford to London and um, even, you know, to get very grand about it, like Jesus coming from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Like there's this journey that is like you, you come from a more humble place and then you you journey to a bigger city, yeah. and um, that's been my journey. And and I think it's it's also been a stabilizing force in my life because <clears throat> because I didn't want to become a jerk or a parody of of showbiz success. Um, so I, I I kind of clung to my midwesternness even more. Like it became more important to me the older I got, um, and to just. Uh, just kind of be able, like, walk those values, walk and talk those values a little bit more. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a, there's also, like, whenever I meet Midwesterners in the world, uh, especially in New York and L.A., there's always this kind of instant connection, like, oh, like, our Thanksgivings were probably similar, and, like, our high schools were probably, like, similar, and um, there's a sweet point of connection. Um, in terms of home, you know, it took me a long time to find my home. I always felt when I was in New York, I would bop around from, you know, sublet to sublet or rental to rental. And I never felt like I really could grow roots there as much as I, I loved it. Um, I think New York is a really fascinating town because it's, you know, your best days in New York are really, really triumphantly good. And your worst days are among the worst days you'll ever put on record. You know, um, it's just such a town of extremes. Um, and I found that when I got out to California, I loved California. I like LA. I actually really like LA. I defend Los Angeles. And I don't, I'm not a like Mary Catherine person. I'm actually more of a Charlie person when it comes to LA. But, um, but I found that once I got a house and I was able to have a space, like extra space for people, to, like friends to live with me when they were homeless and 
um, just to provide like a like a community gathering place, um, really has been meaningful to me. Um, I was just home for like five days last weekend because um, I had some time off from shooting in Richmond, and it was so wonderful to feel like I had this like place to charge my battery. And um, uh, but at the same time. Um, you know, I'm, I, I love this Herman Hess poem called Stages. I don't know if you know it, but it was actually the first um, song Ben Lee and I wrote because we're making an album together. It was oh, the, cool. Um, we, we, we just both, we were talking about, you know, we had a melody and, and I said, do you know this Herman Hess poem, Stages? And he loved it. And so we kind of riffed on this poem and it's all about don't make a home of any place because spirit is actually trying to move you to wider spaces and to, to, um, you know, don't, don't grow too many roots, like, like be malleable and adaptable. And I feel, uh, I, the, the guy I bought my house from actually gave me that poem when I was leaving my little rinky dink $750 a month apart, one bedroom apartment. Um, because I was actually, I was actually attached to it. Like I did not want to leave this tiny little apartment because it was mine and it was what I knew. I didn't want to go to a bigger place. I mean, my, my house is not ostentatious at all, but it's lovely. And um, so this poem has always meant something to me um, because I had to leave my home to find my home. And I know that one day I'm going to have to leave that home. Um, but one of, the, one of the great things about being an actor, and I was just talking with some of the cast members on Mercy Street about this last night, is um, in an age where everything is so predetermined, you know, your news feed is only kind of speaking to your political beliefs, um, the, the things you buy, you kind of get offered more of the same. Yeah. Netflix. Curated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's curated. We're rarely encouraged to go outside of our comfort zone. It's like, if you like this, you'll like this. Right. Right. And it just takes you deeper into your tastes and preferences. But one of the great things about, um, being an actor or being an artist generally is, the, the hands of fate still work in our lives. You know, I get a job and I have to come to a town I don't know and I meet all these terrific people and there's magic that happens in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it can be like camp, you know. I think I think about that a lot and I think that's one of the appeals and the nostalgia from college is that it's like this built-in community and that I think is one of the contrasting things into your early 20s that really like hits you hard or it hit me really hard of like oh you have to make friends and you have to yeah, navigate this like, and not like, everyone where's the dining hall yeah like, that's actually confused i was like aren't we all going to be fed at the same time i mean no, that, that's silly but there was mm-hmm. something so sweet about just feeding yourselves at the same place at the same time and uh you know, I'm, I'm over that part of it, but I remember it felt like being plunged into ice cold waters. And I was like, this doesn't feel right somehow. And I think, I think what we're speaking to is like, there is a longing for community. Community, There's yeah, a I was just going to say. For fellowship. And, um, you know, even when you have kids, like in, in, this has only been the last hundred years where we've had to pay for childcare because it was always done by the grandparents and the neighbors and everyone looked after each other. But there's this kind of urban breakdown that is, it causes some soul soul sickness in us. Yeah. 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 I've been so, like a big thing in my life right now is I want just more white space. You know, I was so focused on, on work and creating things and I want more community. And I think that online, 
I've kind of created some community, which is great and fantastic, and thank you, everyone listening. <laughs> but, like, it's it kind of gives you a hit of it, and so you feel like you don't really need it. And then I, it was like I almost woke up one morning, and I was like, oh, wait, I need to have real in-person community and the type of people that I can snuggle and bring me soup when I'm sick and touch and feel. And that's kind of – it reminded me of, you know, that feeling you got when you went home and having people over. I mean, isn't it the best, you know? Yeah. It's just – it's the best. And, you know, that that – must be great when you're acting and you can, you know, kind of be built into a community. And I think working from home can be so wonderful, but isolating. And we can be so isolated working remotely and doing things remotely that it is, we do kind of have to force ourselves to have community and look at it as like a healthy thing for your personal growth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are relational creatures. There can be no doubt, you know, and you know, I think, I think we're. It's not like we're going to halt the march of technology and fragmentation, but but I think we can be aware of what's happening to us and take steps to um, provide some antidotes for it. You know, if that means, I mean, I, I even heard there's the like, there's a trend that's developing of people, you know, couples like three or four couples who have kids, like kind of buying a complex together and actually creating their own. That's so cool little community where they can look after each other and eat together and provide their kids with more um, more interaction and yeah. face with actual humans and not screens. I think that's amazing. I think that's so amazing. And I love what you were talking about before too about, you know, that that was fascinating when you compared it to Buddha or Jesus or all of these people. I think going to a city, I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, Leaving, I have never lived outside of Michigan other than when I studied abroad, even though I meant, went to a different city. But I mm-hmm. feel like when I was in L.A. talking to um, – I was with Pete's girlfriend, Val, and she was talking about moving to L.A. and how it was such a personal growth experience for her and really kind of encouraging me something like that. And it really hit me in, the, in this conversation how valuable that can be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just think that's really interesting. It's valuable because it's terrifying. Yeah. Is part of it, you know. And it and it tests parts of yourself that are kind of lying dormant. Yeah. I think that then... I think that way about travel, you know, like I always think if you stay in the same place, you stare at the same things all the time, and literally that just provokes most of the same thoughts. Like most of our thoughts are just the same neurotic loop on repeat. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a different country, when you hear different languages, when you see different faces and different ways of living and the sun feels different and the architecture is different, you, you actually, it's, you, different thoughts get provoked, different, more interesting, um, new, fresh thoughts. Yeah. 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 It's like that episode of Seinfeld when George does the opposite of everything for a day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. There's a tool in my book that I have everyone do that essentially and like write about it and it's just yeah it just turns everything upside down and it's good for your creativity your maturity it's yeah yeah and I and I wish I sometimes have this very immature feeling like I wish growth didn't require so much risk and discomfort like I I wish it was like you know like we could I just wish it was less thorny yeah 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 Yeah, it's kind of like writing like we were saying it's like we like having grown, maybe not growing, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's you know, the, just the term growing pains. Like, I remember when my legs were actually growing and how much pain I was in. It felt like, like 
invisible people were just pulling my body in different directions and I just had to sit through the discomfort of it and then that process becomes internal when you get older yeah oh man you articulated that so well it's so yeah so good this has been such a good conversation so a couple more things um yeah you're speaking of good conversations you know your movies are so relatable and they're so conversational, which I love. And they're these deep conversations that I want to be having all the time. And I, I love that. So, you know, which is probably why I have a podcast and record most of my conversations with people. But what do you think makes a good conversationalist and what makes a good conversation to be in and be having? Hmm. I think it requires, like, equal parts um, – I have something to share, and also, oh, I, I'm I'm fully want to hear what you have to say, and oh, I didn't know that, and oh, that's fascinating, and just um, kind of an interplay between receptivity and offering something. Um, sometimes you get in conversations where no one's the ball isn't being hit back a little bit, like just as a tennis kind of thing. Um, the best conversations for me are you know, to take this analogy further is like, uh, you get a great volley going and, mm-hmm. and you have, you, you have a similar game, but you're also really challenging each other. And, um, you're, you're kind of hitting the ball back as hard as it's coming at you. Um, on, uh, you know, another, it's, it's just when the conversation feels a little lopsided. I know you're asking me questions right now. So I'm this. I don't want people to think this is like my ideal conversation. <laughs> like I would, if we were properly having a conversation, I would uh, be doing some more investigative reporting on you. But um, next time, <laughs> yeah, next time on my podcast. Yes, but, um, but I think um, curiosity probably and um, uh, being open to learning something new, not having an agenda around um, getting someone to think the way you think. I mean, that's really the poison in our culture right now is this inability to be with people who disagree with you, thinking um, they're the devil if they disagree. And um, it's just, you know, I think the art of conversation maybe has been, has eroded a bit. And, and again, we ha- it's something we have to fight for because as we become more locked into these screens, as we get self-driving cars and, you know what I mean? Like, we're just going to keep getting more and more isolated. Yeah. Um, so, so I think like it's hero's work to stay connected. Yeah. I do think of technology though, podcasts are the thing kind of keeping long conversations alive. Oh, certainly. It's a fascinating, um, and it, and, and the popularity of them speaks to this notion that people, Starving. Really want, so yeah, re- people really do want to sit with a conversation. They don't want to kind of, uh, re- read a headline and move on and keep, you know, yeah. not click, 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 click. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say they're unedited. You know, they're raw and real and they're improvised, like Zibby says in the movie. You know, everything is, but it's, yeah. there's, yeah. we don't want sound bites. We want the full unedited yeah. version. And I noticed when I first started doing press that I always felt burned when someone just quoted one or two things or, or quoted me out of context, which, which happens a ton. And you end up feeling like, wait, that was part of a much larger contextualized thought. Yeah, what that I has said. To be awful. Yeah, and but I noticed my favorite uh, bits of press were just like pr- they printed the whole transcript front to back. Mm-hmm. Like, let me let me be responsible for my words, but also 
like you, you should show these people like where this came out of, you know, because you you can always pull a quote and out of context and make it sound kind of make the person sound ridiculous, and um, it's a, that's a whole other minefield, you know, navigating, um, you know, being public, like speaking on record. Yeah, I I can only we imagine. Don't to, we don't need to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> But I, but I agree with you that the, the podcast phenomenon is a welcome one. Yeah, for sure. I love yeah. it. So another thing in your movies that I love is this Trojan horse that you speak of, of bringing in this deeper spiritual concepts and lessons, but talking about them in this really fun, sometimes really light interesting story and it's it's so beautiful and there's this one line and that's you know what I wanted to talk about in the third act of this podcast anyways the spiritual stuff but there's this line that Zac Efron's character says when Jesse runs into him on campus and he says how perfect is the universe and so you wrote that line so I want to know and I think that you do believe that and what are some of the you know synchronicities that have happened in your life that you know, what I call, you know, your happy, thank you, more, please moments when you're just like more of this, please. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, again, kind of paradoxically, I believe that and I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that I think the universe does operate according to certain laws. And some of them are in our favor if if uh, we're kind of aligned with, you know, what the in in Asia, they call the Tao, you know, if you're kind of flowing with with the yeah, that, connected. That, that force, right? right? And if you're not, you're going to get walloped. Right. Depends on you're, the day. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, tidal wave's going to come by. and But but all in the service of kind of getting you back on track. It's like in the um, Vedic cosmology, you know, they talk about Shiva and Brahma and Vishnu. And Brahma is the kind of unmanifest, like, creative force. And Vishnu is the stabilizing maintenance force. And Shiva is the destructive force. And the way I learned this, and I think this is really sharp, is is creativity should be. We should always be creating. We should always be stepping into the unknown. We should all, that should be primary in our lives. Then we have maintenance, the Vishnu energy for things that need to be maintained but aren't necessarily generating newness. And then Shiva, the destructor, which is not a bad thing; it's a necessary thing, will take away irrelevancies just naturally. They'll go away, almost like in a functioning body. The digestive system just works on its own. We don't have to think much about it. But if we are get into more of a maintenance thing where we're just trying to kind of maintain and we're trying not to make things go in any direction, the the universe tries to, <clears throat> you know, Shiva and it'll 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 invite more Shiva destructive energy in to move us back to the space of creativity mm-hmm. as primary. Does this make sense? Am I yeah, explaining? no, this is yeah. great. So um so I think that on some level... Wait, can we, I see if I'm we, understanding it properly? Yeah, yeah, please, please. So you're saying that when you're out of the flow, it will bring into your life things to kind of get you back into the flow, and yeah. when you're in the flow, things to get you to come things out of the... Flow. F- things flow. No, no, things keep flowing. Okay. So I mean, I don't, think, I, don't think, I don't think the universe is a trickster. Like, that's something I had to let go of. Like, like, the, like I really reject the view that it's like a purposeless um lifeless universe where um you know it's nothing but crazy accidents you know i mean i believe accidents are real but i don't believe i think like 
it's just this unbelievably complex web of you know karma and dharma and all these things that are mm-hmm. working all at the same time and um i i i think that you know even in the 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 trend in comedy you know you see it a lot on twitter is like life's meaningless we're all going to die ha ha and it's like oof i just feel like that is such a it's a dark mindset to get into because it it turns us into victims and it makes us cynical mm-hmm. and it's such an ugly thing to feel cynical because you're you know then you're just then all you have to do is chase pleasure like that's it because it's like although the only thing that matters is like alleviating the pain of yeah. existence and that that feels really sad and depressing to me and then you um, find you worship all these other things and then each one you realize it's empty and then you go oh, to yeah. another it's a, and another it's a false idol i mean yeah. i really in the last couple of years i started to understand what like the first commandment means like love oh, god yeah i heard you talk about like, this is so good yeah so <laughs> Do you want me to? Yes, me please. To, I mean, <laughs> I just got just, excited. Yeah, I mean, just this notion that um, we think that we we make God into us. So we make we 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 right. say like, oh, God's egotistical. He needs all our love because he's so insecure. But but really, when it says love God above all things, means love truth, peace, virtue. Like love love what I what God is your innermost, and. And love that in your heart because anytime you deviate from that and worship something else, whether it's fame or beauty or money or the latest gadget or um, status or awards, it will be it will reveal itself to be false, and you will have to pay the pain. The you will pay for it in pain if you worship it. So I always, you know, say that it's like a metaphor of a, a really good parent who says, you know, you're in a crowded marketplace and says, hold on to my hand and don't let go because yeah. you'll get lost. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like, it's actually love. Like it's a commandment about love. It's saying, yeah. don't worship anything outside of yourself, outside of your, um, who you truly are, which yeah. is me, yeah. you know? Um, it's to protect think, you. Yeah, it's a protection. It's like saying, like, don't touch that hot stove. Right. You're going to get burned. Um, that I think was a lot so of, helpful for me to hear. That, oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah really, really I think helpful. a lot of um, sacred texts are kind of written in, in code a little bit. Like Richard Rohr talks about, like, literalism yields the least fruitful meanings from these texts. Mm. Like, anytime you're kind of going, oh, that's so stupid, it's like, no, what's it saying? Like, I heard a beautiful, beautiful teaching about um, Abraham and Isaac, which I never understood. But it's so beautiful, you know, that Abraham is asked to kill Isaac, his son. And it's like, what kind of monster, psychopathic God asks Mm -hmm. that? Like, it made no sense to me for all my whole life. And the way I heard it described, which I thought was so beautiful, it said, God loved Abraham so much, but he knew Abraham had Isaac when he was very young. I mean, when Isaac was, I'm sorry, when Abraham was very old and he worshiped his son, he had fallen into idolatry. He was absolutely like besotted with love for his son and, and it was corrupting him. And God loved Abraham so much that rather than do it gradually or teach it, he just knew he had to like pluck out this thorn. So he required him to kill him knowing full well he wasn't really going to kill him, but he needed Abraham to turn over his son, to, to say, I love you, God, more than my son. And once he agreed to do it, that you know the angel Gabriel intercepted and said, no, 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 now your heart is filled with God, 
and you will we will never take our son your son from you you can have everything but your priorities are now correctly aligned and again it's not about a gray bearded patriarchal avenging angry god that's not the god i think that we're talking about we're talking about like that whisper of quiet true peace that is in within you that gets crowded out by all the other things of the world it's what you know jesus talks about being poor in spirit like we should be the other things of the world should not be the toys should not be crowding out that thing it doesn't mean we can't have attachments it just means well i don't know maybe we can't have attachments um but I was. Does that make sense? That story I just told. Yeah, it hit yeah. me. It hit me hard. It goes okay. right in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. You good. know, some of those lessons that just like go right in. They don't need any like filtering. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> you know what I was trying to do in liberal arts with Nat, with the character that Zac Efron played, uh-huh. was I was really writing. I was writing about a um, a place that was very cerebral. And I was also honoring a place in me that's very cerebral, like you, that can be like, you know, a terrible master and a wonderful servant. Um, but but Zat, uh, uh, Nat, to me, was that part of me and the part of the universe that I always feel like it's trying to get my attention that is just loving, that is just wants to take risks and talk to people and has no use for statistics and no use for books, you know, that is really about a kind of heart wisdom rather than a head smarts. So yeah. I, it felt to me that the movie wouldn't be complete without that vision in there. Yeah. Um, where he's just like the little Jiminy Cricket mm-hmm. that he keeps into who is trying to reorient him. And he even does like a little weird, I actually thought of this. In when he paper. jumps up? Yeah, when he does yes. shamanic cleansing on him and and move literally moves the energy from his head to his yeah. chest. Yeah, and he does that like crazy jump up onto both feet at the same time thing. Yeah, that was actually that was Zach. That was his like his he was very really? athletic and I was and he did it once and I was like keep doing that. That's so funny. Yeah, it's so funny. It's he started funny. to find yeah this this very physical aspect to that that wasn't something I imagined. Oh, it's so it was so good. It's whenever you even started talking about that character, I just smile. I feel like you can't think about that character or watch that character in the movie without smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's that good part in us. It's that light in me and you that hopefully we can be in enough to communicate from, and it shows that. And I love, yeah, that's so cool that he was that was articulated in the movie through a person. Mm-hmm. Very I mean, cool. it's both It's both a, a kind of childlike innocence that we still have in us, but that's kind of atrophied. And it's also, um, you'll notice he's wearing like a Peruvian hat and a Shipibo Indian shirt. Like he's, it's very like, um, you know, uh, kind of indigenous wisdom or it's like a not Western kind of idea about knowing that nature is alive and that we're um, that everything we say and do is should be from our hearts. Yeah, you know? I fail at this all the time. I mean, I, I again, I'm I'm writing these characters and writing these movies and writing this stuff so I can remind myself that this is my goal. This is my this is aspirational. Yeah, which is I think why I and people like so many people like me resonate with your movies because I think. It's good to see these aspirational characters, and like you were saying, we want. I want to leave after watching a piece of content or listening to a podcast, feeling better or feeling like I'm aspiring to something. 
Right, right. And it's interesting. I mean, I I really not fight, but I I ask myself like, where do, where does it tip into utopian thinking or Pollyanna-ish kind of uh, ignorance where you're not allowing that, you know, what Richard Rohr would call that tragic dimension in. Um, I actually read, let me read you this. Tell me what you think of this. Because do you follow um, Brain Pickings? Mm-mm. Maria Popova, I think her name is. Cool, I'm writing it down. Um, totally Sounds up my alley. On Twitter. And she does a Sunday newsletter that's really worth reading. Cool. Um, where did I write this down? So she she basically compiles all this um, wisdom from all these beautiful people, um, cool. and she she had a one today about uh, from Eric Fromm who wrote the Art of Loving. He was a Holocaust survivor and this very um, deep, beautiful thinker, psychologist. Um, I'm going to read you a little of this, and if this is too long, you, you feel free to cut it in the, when you edit it. Um, <laughs> but it's about optimism and pessimism. Cool. And he I'm says, the, atti- the attitude of the majority is neither that of faith nor that of despair, but unfortunately that of complete indifference to the future of man. With those who are not entirely indifferent, the attitude is that of optimism or of pessimism. The optimists are the believers in the dogma of the continuous march of progress. They are accustomed to identifying human achievement with technical achievement, human freedom with freedom from direct coercion and the consumer's freedom to choose between many allegedly different commodities. The dignity, cooperativeness, kindness of the primitive do not impress them. Technical achievement, wealth, toughness do. The optimists live well enough, at least for the moment, and they can afford to be optimists, or at least that is what they think because they are not so they are so alienated that even the threat to the future of their grandchildren does not genuinely affect them. The pessimists are really no different from the optimists. They live just as comfortably and are just as little engaged. The fate of humanity is little their concern as it is the optimists. They do not feel despair. If they did, they would not and could not live as contentedly as they do. And while their pessimism functions largely to protect the pessimists from the inner, any inner demand to do something, um, by projecting the idea that nothing can be done, the optimists defend themselves against the same inner demand by persuading themselves that everything is moving in the right direction anyway, so nothing needs to be done. That's super dense. Um, uh, and feel free again to cut that. But what he did say was, well, she said, what we need in order to transcend this dual hapless helplessness, Fromm argues, is rational faith in man's capacity to extricate himself from what seems the fatal web of circumstances he created. And he calls this humanist radicalism. Mm. Humanist radicalism seeks to liberate man from the chains of illusion. It postulates that fundamental changes are necessary not only in our economic and political structure, but also in our values, in our concept of man's aims, and in our personal conduct. I love that so much because it's saying, I feel like a lot of people argue like, if we only change this economically, if we only change this politically, and it's like, no, our values, our concept of man's aims, and in our personal conduct, that's why I'm so obsessive about like, what are we thinking? What are we saying? Yeah, going back to your words. Yeah, like always, because... Uh, we'll we'll it'll be we'll build our house on sand if we don't know who we are and what we're up to you know yeah. and then he says to have faith means to dare to think the unthinkable yet to act within the limits of the realistically possible it is the paradoxical hope to expect the messiah every day yet not to lose heart when he has not come at the appointed hour so beautiful yeah. This hope is not passive and it is not patient. On the contrary, it is impatient and active, looking for every possibility of action within the realm of real possibilities. Um, 
And then he says, the situation of mankind today is too serious to permit us to listen to the demagogues, least of all demagogues who are attracted to destruction, or even to leaders who use only their brains and whose hearts have hardened. Critical and radical thought will only bear fruit when it is blended with the most precious quality man is endowed with, the love of life. Mm. And this is, you know, this guy's a Holocaust survivor, and I feel like his wisdom is is incredibly hard-earned in that he saw man at his best and worst, truly. I mean, the yeah. absolute extremes. So, um, you know, I don't know that I can call myself an optimist anymore, or a pass- certainly I'm not a pessimist, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little more like Winston Churchill, like he said, there's no sense in not being an optimist. Like, it's actually a kind of, um, I just contradicted myself. But um, I just, I really believe this this notion of um, kind of hoping to, ex- you know, expecting the Messiah every day and not losing heart when they don't come at the appointed hour. Like, that's yeah. a really, that's a, I, I just, I think I just read this today. So this is a new kind of thing I'm throwing into the hopper yeah. here. Well, yeah. it's kind of like what we were talking about before at the beginning about, thinking two things at once two things can be true at once and it yeah. changes every day and we're constantly changing all of this yeah yeah, yeah. but the thing i the thing <clears throat> that i feel like the biggest battle is against cynicism because yeah. that that renders us immobile actually she said um maria popova said cynicism is so seductive in our present culture and she called it a a particularly pernicious form of defeatist resignation masquerading as empowered critical thinking Mm. I think that's so good yeah. because the cynical, the cynic can really flatter themselves that like, no, 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 only I'm seeing clearly. Right. And it's like, well, from one perspective, I suppose, but it's also lazy thinking in, from another angle. Yeah. This is kind of related to this and kind of about what we were talking about before too. And I really want your opinion on this because I really take the approach of, you know, we are what we pretend to be. It's like my favorite Kurt Vonnegut quote, you know, would essentially like fake it till you make it. And I've really tried to do that with my beliefs and what I believe about the universe and God and religion and, and all of it. And I find what concepts make me feel good and bring me peace, kind of like what we were talking about with finding mentors. And I cling to those you know in in a and I think in a healthy way because I want to believe that so much because I know it makes me feel good but Mm -hmm. then also you know there's this spectrum of like you know if Woody Allen's on one end of like no belief in, in any sort of universal force and then there's you know a whole other end and I think I'm still trying to deprogram or like lift off all the Velcro I picked up from my childhood relationship with religion of this, you know, God from this very black and white perspective that we were talking yeah. about before. Yeah. And so my, my question to you, because I really resonate with how you feel about the universe being this good force, you know, that we can send gratitude towards and communicate with and can attract things to us. And, and like we were talking about kind of with all of this conversation, but if I'm being fully honest with myself and if I really allow myself to be aware of how I actually feel and not just how I want to believe, uh-huh. I find that like I'm steeping myself with people like you who have these beliefs that I want to have, but essentially there's still a 
there's like somewhere in the back of my mind like yeah but remember what you learned in like sixth grade catholic school you know or like whatever yeah. it's like still yeah. in there and i just want to like get some tweezers and like pluck it out and so my <laughs> question to you is like did you when you were trying to construct this belief that you have that the universe is conspiring in our favor did you always have that did you question it did it take time to get you to where you are how do you maintain it all of that well that's an amazing question and i and i and i like the honesty in it that you're revealing and i'm going to be honest in return which is i don't know that that's my philosophy like and i don't mean to disappoint you and i hope you still love the movie <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> like i i again, like you i I, I would prefer to believe the universe is good, but I also feel like um, there's there's cruelty here, and I don't I I don't believe the cruelty is divinely ordered. I believe that we are the authors of it. Um, I also believe that love is not only sweetness; it can also be severity, and that sometimes we're getting like a really strong course correction from Shiva, who's still a, who's still a force of God. You know, mm-hmm. um, that destruction, that 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 destroying of of that which is irrelevant, to and take us onto a new path. You yeah, know? exactly. Like sometimes we really we refuse our. You know, David Foster Wallace has this great thing. He said, "Everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it." You yeah. know, <laughs> like we cling to these things, and um, I I I don't know that I have a worldview that is like rock solid and unshakable and like this is what I believe because I also think that's a danger. Y- y- you know, that, that, that there are people with like really lousy philosophies that won't budge from them and I don't want to be one of those people. I think there's a, there's a, my mom used to, um, she used to teach parenting. She always had this great metaphor for parenting where she said it's like holding a wet bar of soap. If you hold it too tight, it's Ooh, like, oh, that's so good. If you don't hold it enough, it flies out of your hands. So you've got to find that like sweet spot of like oh, how. Oh man! And I think that that's true for beliefs, right? Like, yeah. Like, like I'm open to being wrong, uh, but there are certain things that I, I, I simply don't believe, and there are other things that I half believe, and there are other things I pretty much fully believe, but there's a little one percent of doubt. You know what I mean? Mm. So, um, I just think. There's a there's certain like questions you can ask yourself like do, like my friend Trent and I always talk about um, uh, being scientists like everyone's so obsessed with like scientists say this right like science says and we put all this faith in the the temple of science but we refuse to really be scientists of ourselves like use ourselves as the b- both we're the scientist and we're the experiment so. You know, like I did enough research to know that like alcohol is not good in my life. It's just not good in my life. It just takes me into places I don't want to be. It makes me feel strange. It it encourages behavior that's not good for me and other people. But I can read a bazillion articles that tell you a glass of wine a day is good for you. Two glasses of wine a day are good for you. It's not good for me. Do you know? Yeah. So I think we have to like, you know not listen sometimes to the, 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 the mob and say, well, what is good for me? Like being kind makes me feel good. 
being unkind makes me feel bad. I don't need any laboratory tests to prove that, right? Mm -hmm. So that, to me, is where a truth starts to become a truth. Like, it stops becoming a theory, and it starts to solidify into a truth. Now, should I always be kind in every situation? No, sometimes you need to get out of a situation, and sometimes that maybe looks not like kindness. But you're ultimately, you know, protecting yourself. So... I think that I think you're right to to isolate what do you think are healthy worldviews and say, well, I would like to encourage more of this in my life. Yeah, more please. And then and then and then live. You know, see how that feels. But you 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 can never stop self observing. I mean, self observation is the key to any true spiritual practice because you're 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 having to look at what's mad, what's mad and crazy within you, and you're having to look at what where you had some victories that day but you you have to you have to look internally and most of us look at outside and we're like if only those people would change mm-hmm. you know there's a great i always quote this this thomas merton quote where he says you know um hate injustice hate war hate greed but hate them in yourself not in other people you know we always think everyone else is the warmonger everyone else is the blamer everyone else is but it's like they're just mirrors yeah, but it's so silly. It's so, it's so, um, they just have, you just haven't, that, all that is is evidence that you like haven't looked all that deeply at yourself because if you really look all that deeply at yourself, you're going to see that you are as craven and as greedy and as, you know, but, but even if it's in seed form, it doesn't mean it's expressed. And maybe you hated those things about other people, so you denied them in yourself, but they're there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's treacherous stuff. Like, like I had a teacher once who said, spiritual work doesn't make you crazy. It just makes you realize how crazy you've always been. Mm, yeah. Because you'll really start to look. Yeah. And- I talk about that a lot with journaling. It's like pushing – there's that analogy of like pushing the beach ball down. If you keep pushing it down, it's going to make this like huge splash when it comes up. But if you just let it out and just are honest, at least first with yourself, it's, you know, it comes out more gracefully. Yeah, so I think, yeah, yeah. I, I also think there's something to be said for um, this notion of. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase "be the Buddha before you're the Buddha"? Is is like act like you're the Buddha before you're the Buddha. Like, don't wait to be enlightened under the tree. Like, literally, study the Buddha. What did the Buddha talk about? What was the Buddha's like? Okay, so he said, um, "Desire causes suffering." Okay, so I need to work on desire. Like, like actually try to be the thing. So if you study the qualities of what maybe you could call like divine virtues, you know, it's like patience, humility, diligence, temperance, charity, um, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, like all these things that we say, those are divine qualities. If, if, if you start to, even though you might not believe there is a God, or you might not believe that the universe is good, do an experiment and say like, well, if I, if I, if I live those qualities, my life gets better and the lives around me are, are, are improved. Yeah, That's, and I have examples. You know? I just need to remind my, like you were saying, remind myself of those. Put those somewhere in my mind to remember on days when I forget or moments when I forget. Right, right. But sometimes it's just like doing, like doing the action of it. Like if you don't believe it in that mm-hmm. moment, just taking the action. Like it's so silly that, that you know, um, how many times I have to be reminded, like, helping another person will make me feel better. Yeah. Like, like in not being so, one of my, I think one of my defects is like I'm very covetous of my time. Like, no, I didn't have my time with my caffeine and my writing. Like, who cares? Like, you'll get it tomorrow. Like, 
be of service, you know. Mm. And I and I look, I I'm sure from my movies and from my writing, I I you, you, you like you said, like how did you get to this like permanent philosophy? And I'm just saying like it's not permanent. Like it's a struggle every day to stay on the side of the the virtue and the goodness. But I also it's know that good to hear. Yeah, I also know that I have more wind at my sails when I do. Yeah. You know, my friend Dion said this great thing. He said, um, I don't know if there's a God. I just know that when I act like there is, my life is a lot better. Oh, Dion, that yeah. is good. It's really good. It's so good. Yeah, it's true. It's I was so thinking good. the same thing. Like when I'm connected, when I'm plugged in, when I'm in the flow, everything's amazing, you know? And it's just about being able to come back quicker. Right. And I think also even when you're plugged in and stuff gets not amazing, you're you have much better you're much better tools to deal with it. Yeah. Cuz yeah, there's an acceptance sure. of the fact that okay, this is happening. The worst thing to do is be like, I don't want this to happen and you're living in this kind of gripped, uh, you know, um shut down like, I don't want this to happen. But if you if the first thing is like, okay, this is happening. Now we're going to deal with it. Like that's also that's also being in the flow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. So I really want to get to my quick, quick, quick fire questions that I ask everyone. I already am like thinking about talking about using your time. Thank you so much for. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't say that. Say oh, no, I know you didn't. I know you didn't. But I'm just like, I want to be able to be present in the conversation. But I'm also like, oh, man, so I, it's going by so quickly. Um, no, I have time if you want to. OK, cool. Well, before that, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your spiritual practice and your meditation practice because my last guest on was from the David Lynch Foundation and we talked about TM because I started TM in November and really, really game changer for me. So yeah. I would love, um, how did you come to meditation? How did you, I think you said you've been doing it for like over 10 years. Can you talk to us about your meditation practice? And Yeah, yeah. I think that? I learned in 2004, so it's been about 12 years. And um, I, I remember I had this <laughs> girlfriend who I really adored, but it was she, she battled anxiety. And I remember at one day I was just like, you need to meditate. And I was really obnoxious Did about it. Did you meditate like, then? No, oh. no. This is like a perfect <laughs> example of like finger pointing. Yeah. I, I remember saying like, you, you really should meditate. It didn't even occur to me that I should meditate. Oh, this um, is so funny. This is so exactly what we were talking about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's delusional. But um, about a year later, I did start meditating. It was kind of like, you know, I, I had a, I, I knew this woman who said, next time this guy's in town, you got to promise me you'll learn from him. And I did. Um, he taught TM. Um, he called it Vedic meditation, but it's, it's TM. Um, so, you know, I got my mantra and I started, started off and I, and I got, um, really serious about it. And it was, it was through that, you know, I think I was attracted to meditation initially for like anxiety relief or like, wanting to quiet the chatter in my head. And I just thought, well, maybe I can be more effective if I wasn't so prone to over analysis and neurotic thought. Um, but the upshot was, um, he would talk about things like enlightenment and he taught the Vedas and I started studying Eastern thought and I just thought, I always thought enlightenment was something that um, was like this myth or, or I didn't think it was like an actual physical process that we're wired for. Um, and I, 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 I'm not claiming that I'm anywhere near it, but I do now believe it's a real thing um, with, with, you know, I don't know that it's a, kind of permanent beatific state where you're just glowing all the time. But I do think that there are people that 
have certainly raised their consciousness beyond a certain level and are not so they don't get tossed on the high seas of life the way we do and um so I started to take that very seriously and then I had this other level of stuff that started to happen where I got on a TV show that got really popular and it made me really depressed rather than taking away all my problems it kind of as I said in my ink talk it like poured fertilizer Which is amazing oh okay. thanks yeah it's good you know poured fertilizer on my defects so like then I had to get really serious and then and then I you know found a teacher in a community that was like uh, you know, and, and other authors, you know, I, I really do believe the right books and the right teachers, kind of, if you're open, they kind of come your way at the right time. And um, so I just really started to get much deeper and my, my um, spiritual thinking and, and has evolved and continues to evolve. And, but I've read a lot of Buddhist stuff. I've lot of, read a lot of Vedas, you know, the Vedas and um, the Upanishads and the, um, you know, mystic Christianity, like Meister Eckhart and Thomas Kepsis and all these. And then, um, you know, I have a very strong Jewish background. So um, I, I really feel like I, I've become like syncretic in the best possible way, you know, that I've, I've, I've tried to look at the, the, the elephant from lots of different angles, yeah. rather than thinking that one tradition can give it all to me. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time with, um, you know, indigenous cultures in South America and just getting more of a collage, you know, yeah, yeah, like really painting with like a lot of different colors. And that to me has been um, really beautiful because I, I don't know that every tradition, I don't know that all one tradition has it all. I mean, there's so many beautiful ways of looking at this stuff. Yeah. Have you read the book Devotion by Danny Shapiro? No. It's this memoir-ish situation and I, it really helped me a lot. I read it my freshman year of college, just like by the pool one summer. But it essentially she's kind of saying what you're saying now, where she it hit me for the first time that you can really create your own religion and you can curate your own, take a little bit from this and a little bit from that. And it's kind of like Eat, Pray, Love in a way where she meets a rabbi and then she meets a meditation teacher and she meets a yogi and maybe a priest or something. And she gets... All, I haven't read it in a long time, but she gets a lot of information from all of them, and it's all good, and it's all it, helpful. And, you know, she has a son, and she's trying to figure out, you know, how she's going to raise this other human being that she just brought mm -hmm. into the world. And anyway, it, it was the first time where I was really like, oh, I can take bits and pieces from lots of different things, and that's okay. You know, I yeah. don't have to, like, get yeah. all in on one thing for it to work. And that, that, I think, is, you know, to bring it all back, but, like, that's very second half of life, which is which is like you honor other traditions and you're um, yeah. you draw wisdom from and, and solace from a lot of different places. Whereas the first half of life would be very like you're either this or you're in you're you're, you're plunged into the abyss. You yeah, know? yeah, that black and white thinking. Maybe it's just a first act of life situation, you know, and it yeah. kind of dissipates. Yeah. yeah, and I still struggle with that because I I I feel like trapped in between like sometimes I I do feel like I need to get a little black and white with myself where I say like you know what this wouldn't be good for you I mean I think that there's a, a trend in spirituality certainly in California that's very like it's all good it's all God and it's like nonsense like that is nonsense you know like what do you mean ab well abusive children is not oh, God right 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 you, you know what I mean sexual slavery is not right God. obviously yeah. so so I feel like we have to be careful what we paint with that brush I mean I think like we can I think we are 
divine in that we're, we, are, we are connected to this beautiful, bountiful, ever-replenishing source of virtue. And we can um, bring that more into being in our lives, in, in, in internally and, and externally, or we can not. And a lot of this world is um, created by the not. So I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting moment when you realize like who you are truly and what you're capable of. And yeah. you reacquaint yourself with, with a kind of power that is both yours and not yours because it's not quite coming from you. Um, but if you can partner with that, like what isn't possible? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I haven't really gotten to the enlightenment parts of TM or from consistently meditating and TM I don't for me that, is just like... That, yeah, I think TM works better as a um, pressure valve release and a, and, a, and a calming of your nervous system so that you can think more clearly and... Yeah. and that's what I think it's wonderful for. I yeah. don't know, and and I don't want to upset anyone, and I know the people, the good folks at the David Lynch Foundation, I don't know that you could do twice daily TM meditation and that will automatically bring you to the gates of enlightenment. Yeah. But that's true. I think there are other factors involved. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the one thing that it's given me is that it helps it helps me with awareness, which, you know, tie, landing this plane, tying it all up in a bow, it's that getting to know yourself better, which your movies do, which TM does for me. It, it's helped me. I, my meditation teacher, I loved. I just loved going over to her house for the three days, and she was so cool and nice, and we're having dinner next week. You know, like, she's just a cool person. And she said to me that what TM will do is – it helps whoever's doing it become more of themselves. Like Howard Stern becomes more Howard Stern. You know, Josh becomes more Josh. Like I think that awareness piece, like you were saying, and you articulated so beautifully, is key for all of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you – okay, this is just like a really granular question with meditation, but do you do it at the same time every morning and do you do it like in the same spot and – do you use a timer? Like I don't um, – my teacher told me not to use a timer, but I've really been liking meditating outside. Do you just know when to stop? Have you yeah. gotten there? <laughs> uh, well, I do it first thing in the morning. My second meditation – I mean I'm I, – I, I, I sometimes – don't tell the TM folks this. I sometimes do TM. I also have another meditation that I do. I always get in a meditation a day. Yeah. Um, the second one – is a little more variable. I, I'd say for like a good nine or ten years, I was like a twice daily TM meditator. Like I just didn't miss it, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did. Sure, I sure. would. I would sometimes miss the second one. The second one's harder to get. I yeah, think, totally. Days up running. Right. But you know, when I was shooting Happy Thank You More Please, if they were doing a lighting setup, I there were a couple times when I grabbed my second meditation, um, and. Um, but I also have some really beautiful outside space now at my house where I like to meditate. So sometimes I'll go down there. Um, I've always used a timer. Just, you know, the, the, the iPhone. Same. Yeah, thing. I turn it on airplane mode and just use the timer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. The only meditator yeah, yeah. I, I was actually, um, I was taught to use, to use a timer or even just a glance at, at the watch so you know when the 20 minutes are kind of basically yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, she because she told me to you know look at a clock, have a clock in view. But I've been wanting to meditate outside now that it's been so nice out and doing the timer thing. So, anyway, that was just like a totally just wanted to talk to someone else who knows about meditation. And yeah, <laughs> curious. Um, okay, so these are the, some questions that I ask everyone. So kind of quick fiery, but they might be a little bit long. So, um, 
we already talked about this a little bit, but you've been a journaler, obviously, for a long time. So is that something that now you're writing lots of different projects, it sounds like, but do you still journal? Is that still part of your life now of just letting the thoughts in your mind out? Mm, not entirely. I mean, my the book is very first-person-y, mm-hmm. so it will function as some sort of um, <clears throat> heavily curated and labored-over journal. Cool. Um, Can you talk the, about the book a little bit? Um, it's in some ways like a series of essays that oh, are cool. that that are. It's okay if you can't. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's it's definitely like it's basically about this podcast. Like what, <laughs> how best <laughs> you know. Um, crystallizing a life philosophy that is both malleable and adaptable but also uh, something I can really stick with and 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 um how to get better at being myself I guess which is the theme of everything yeah that, that I'm doing um but uh I you know I'm not a regular journaler um sometimes when I am overrun with thought regret um sadness even joy i'll um i'll I'll write about it just because i feel like i need sometimes um i don't know what i'm thinking until i write it yeah which is an interesting phenomenon like like i'll have to see it on the page and then i'll actually hit on like a sentence or a thought that'll go that's it that's 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 what's going on yeah danny shapiro that that author that i mentioned she has a quote like that where she says you know i don't know what i'm thinking unless i'm writing and that really I think I quote that in my book about journaling because it's it's so true. Sometimes you just need to take inventory of all the stuff that's going on up there. Yep, yep. So another thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast is body image since that's been my biggest struggle and something that like brought me to a lot of this deeper work. So I know, you know, as an actor and, and you said something on, on Pete's podcast that I really loved and you probably don't even remember saying it, but you were saying when you were talking about clothes, you were saying you like to try to look the same in everything that you're wearing, but just in <laughs> yeah. different clothes. And yeah. that really hit me so hard because it was like, yeah, I just want to feel comfortable. And again, that through line that we like keep bringing up today, but more myself. And, yeah. you know, is that something that as an actor that you've ever struggled with, with body image? And how do you take a you know bad body image moment and shift out of that to not <clears> let it take you out? Um, well, I, you know, I was a very insecure adolescent. Like I was always wondering if I was wearing the wrong thing or, um, saying the wrong thing, obviously, but, uh, well, no, it was probably more wearing, um, <laughs> but I, um, I don't know, like puberty hit me hard in that I thought I didn't look right. And it was, it was a big struggle early on, especially in college where I, I just thought I'd be, I could be a theater actor, but like no way could the camera get too close on me. Cause I was like, well, my, my ears are too big. And my, like, I just had a whole list of things that I was too goofy looking or whatever I thought. And, um, I, again, it was, it, it this is, um, I had like, you know, self-image dysmorphia like like it wasn't true <laughs> i just i just was uh i had bad thinking around it and um you know i still i i still get hit with it a little bit but it's gotten so 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 much better if i can offer any consolation around that and one of the things that 
helped me Phew. honestly um, that's good <laughs> was uh, one of the things that really helped me was um, directing myself because I had to watch so much footage of myself and you know when you're younger and you first hear your voice on a tape recorder and you're like oh my god no that's that can't be me that doesn't sound like me and it's yeah horrible. I mean I relate to that just with the podcast because I've yeah. had to listen to my voice so much it doesn't bother me to hear it anymore yeah exactly exactly and it's the same thing with me where I fully know what my voice sounds like I know what my face looks like. I know what I look like 360 degrees. And it's not that I – I mean sometimes you see a picture and you're like, that's a good picture of me. And sometimes you see a picture and you're like, that, I hope that never shows up anywhere. But, um, but at the same time, it's not that I think I look real good or real bad. I just know what I look like. Acceptance. Yeah. I just know what I look like. And, I, and I, it doesn't shatter me when I see myself ever anymore like I've 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 uh, I've accepted that like oh this is what I'm working with and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel good or bad it just feels like what it is yeah this might you be know? really weird but I feel like the concept of reincarnation really helps you with the body image stuff because I'm like this is the body I'm in this time it might be different next time maybe different before but this is what I've got to work with this time so yeah. let's put it to good use <laughs> yeah I, I, I was actually writing an extended thing I don't know if it'll end up in the book but I was writing it for the book about how reincarnation can actually be a, like a strong moral and ethical force in our lives like if we realize that like in the past we've been everything like we've absolutely been every race, socioeconomic class, sexuality, you know, we've been yeah. like, how can we then turn and say, point our fingers at other people? And then the whole notion of like this environmental responsibility, you know, irresponsibility has so much to do with it. like, well, I'm not going to be around for it. Exactly. Right? But what if we are like, what if we're laying the yeah. foundation the world that we'll be returning to? So I really think there's a case to be made for, um, you know that we 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 come back. We have to be good stewards of this. Yeah, thing. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so good. I love that. All right, let's land this plane with some fun quickfire questions. Do All you right. feel good about that? I feel good about it. All right. So, just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Some of them oh, are God. longer than others. I don't know about these. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this. You've got this. We've been, we've right. warmed up the mics a little bit. I think yeah. we're going to be good. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite day of the week? Uh, I think it's Friday. Favorite hour of the day? It's become like 8, 8 to 9 in the morning. Nice. What are your morning routines? Maybe the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and how that impacts the rest of your day. We already talked about one of them. Uh, meditation. Prayer, um, and on a good day, like just pounding my body and stretching and trying to like m move the blood around. Cool. What's your prayer practice look like? Uh, it kind of changes. I mean, I have a couple prayers I can say, but I, I try to change them up because I can find myself becoming a little mechanical, like trying to check yeah. things off the box. Um, the oh, best that's prayers interesting. are. I find that for sure. Yeah. The yeah, best prayer is, is when I really just try to have a conversation and try to I don't I don't even know who I'm talking to you know I mean I have some sense but I feel that I'm being heard um and I and I try to keep it alive and fresh and active you know yeah very cool and I, I don't ask for I don't ask for things I ask for you know 
awareness and, and, um, you know, to, to, to turn it over. I don't, I don't say like, God, I hope I get this job. Like, right. You know. Mm, very yeah. cool. Yeah. It's surrendering. Yeah. It's, it's the, the hope. Yeah. What about in the evening, the last three things you do before you go to bed and how you wind down after a day? Um, I'll sometimes have something hot, like a tea or that calm stuff that I've been drinking. Do you ever oh, drink yeah, that, that magnesium <laughs> yeah. stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. good. I've been doing that. Um, I try to limit my screen time. It doesn't work. So <laughs> I end up kind of like yeah, when I'm too. in Richmond, my, my friend is always, he's like always by his phone. So we like generally when I'm about to go to sleep, I end up having a text conversation with this hilarious friend that I love. Um, and I read, you know, I read, I always read in bed. Um, and again, I, I, I pray at night too. What are you reading right now? Um, I am reading William Finnegan's surfing memoir called Barbarian Days, which is pretty amazing. Um, I just started, um, Michelle Alexander, is that her name? Um, the new Jim Crow. And I grabbed a C.S. Lewis, uh, book called Miracles. I've been very into C.S. Lewis nonfiction lately. He's really something special. Um, and... What else? I think. What's uh, one book that you think that? Well, I guess you already recommended the Richard Rohr book. Any other books that you think that people should read? Either one that you've read this year that you would recommend, or just in general? Um, <clears throat> I really loved, and I did not grow up Christian, and I am not a Christian, but. C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, I thought, was just this masterpiece of, like, thought experiments around God and, um, and the Screwtape Letters, another a novel of his, which is, like, the devil or one of the, uh, like, a demon giving his demon nephew advice about how to take this man's soul. It's horrifying and chilling and hilarious. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm... Oh, and I also read uh, an essay. I can send you a link to this, but it's it's called The Inner Ring by C.S. Lewis. I just I think he's an incredibly morally serious man who who is such a good writer and such a thoughtful person. And he was an atheist for most of his you know for a large part of his adult life. So it's like his he 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 he, he earned he earned what he's saying. You know, he didn't he didn't inherit his beliefs. He actually found them to be healing to him. Um, oh, that's fascinating. And, and, I didn't know. You know, that. as I as I as I read it, there's certain things that I have to kind of jump over because I'm going, yeah, I don't know about that. Like he says, you know, either Jesus is the Son of God or he's a madman. He can't be anything in between. And I say, okay, I disagree with that. I, you know, he says he can't just be a good teacher. I'm like, I think he's like maybe the best teacher, but I think he can be a good teacher. You know, <laughs> so um, you know stuff like that. But but my um, I just I was very warmed by that book for some reason. It, it, it felt to me like the best kind of nourishing um, prose. Cool. Uh, yeah. I think you have to really get to a place where you can do that. What you were saying of like skimming over th things. I really I know that I really struggle with that when I am reading a book or I'm following a person's work and I find something that is challenging for me. Instead of doing what you 
did there being like, well, I'm not quite sure that that makes sense for me and being okay with that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I, if I don't believe that, then all I can't really be in all the rest of the movies, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, but I just feel like, you know, you, do you ever like go through books and like highlight and underline? Sure like you're you. not underlining the whole book. You're, right, you're, right. Like, to grab what really speaks to you point. and what you're going to hold on to. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just like we were talking about before about, you know, curating your own beliefs, curating your own religion. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't, you know, I don't mean to be so, I don't even mean that to sound so wishy-washy. Like I actually believe that there is such a thing as truth and I believe that there is such a thing as like some things are better for us than other things. Like I actually, in my in my later years, I've, I've like kind of returned to, like standards in some ways. Like I don't, like I said, I don't believe it's like, it's all good. Like I think that, that we have to be careful about what we allow in, but I do think that we have an internal GPS that can tell us like, this is, this will, this is good. This is, this feels right. This feels aligned. This feels true. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Later question. What is the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? Oh my God. There's such good food in Richmond. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this Greek restaurant here called Stella's, where it's like everything is incredible. We're going to this Italian restaurant tonight, where also everything is incredible. Cool. Um, in the last week, um, oh, I'll tell you what I did do. This is gonna start. I got a slow cooker. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like a crockpot. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't know how to cook anything really. But I threw in some like sweet potatoes and some chicken and some onions and some garlic and some olive oh, oil. Oh, like a stew. Kind of, but it wasn't even chopped up. It was just like I just threw it all in there and I let it cook for hours and hours. And then my friend and I ate it and it was so basic, yeah. but so delicious. I love simple food like that. Yeah, yeah. It really felt like what they say, you know, it just preserves all the whatever nutrients. It felt like, oh, everything's in here still. Like it hasn't been drained of its vitality. Yeah, yeah. So, and there was probably an extra kick to like, we just, like, I just cooked this at my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that always makes sense. Who, who needs a dining better. hall? Yeah, yeah. You've got a friend, you've got good food, that's all that's, you need. That's right. So you are a, you've got great taste in music, you're a great music curator, so I'll link your Spotify playlist here, but is there something that you've been listening to in the last week or months that you think other people should be listening to that you can recommend? Yes. There's an album that Ben Lee turned me on to. Um, it's very good for writing because I, 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 I try to I try to find writing that is um, uh, um, writing music is like for me I, I can't have words so I listen to a lot of classical music but there's there's a, uh, a violinist named Daniel Hope and the album is called Spheres S P H E R E S. Um, and he's, uh, do you know Max Richter? He's a no, but I think German I, composer. I think I listened to this album, um, randomly the other day. Oh, really? It's just so funny and yeah, random. Yeah, like Philip Glass and Arvo Part and Yeah. Um, it's so beautiful, this it's record. It's on Spotify. It's really haunting, haunting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been listening to that and it's, um... It's totally worth a, worth a listen. Oh, so good. My friend, actually, just before we got on this call, she's finishing a cookbook, and she tweeted, who has good writing music? Something not depressing, but without words and whatever. whatever. Yeah. And this will be another, another really nice one is Olafur Arnolds, A-R-N-A-L-D-S. He's, uh, I think he's Norwegian or Danish or something. But he, um, the album is called The Chopin Project, and it's just his riffs on... Um, 
on Chopin music. It's very beautiful. Oh, and another one is Max Richter's um, recomposition of the Four Seasons is worth a listen. Cool. Oh, and one more. <laughs> I'm my, loving this. My friend Karenza Peacock is a genius, genius violinist, and she did a, an album with a guy named Oliver Davis called Flight that is extraordinary. All right. Well, Jess, who's probably listening, we've I got gave her you. Four albums. Yeah, she's. We're gonna finish this cookbook. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, okay, so another thing that I've been curious about lately, and I've been really feeling like a jack of all trades, master of none, since I have so many ideas and, and projects in my mind, and podcasts I want to start, and, and and different things like that. And so, how do you feel about starting lots of projects. I guess you've been an actor and known you were going to be an actor since you were very young, so that's kind of different. But what do you say about when you have that feeling? Do you have any advice there about focus or any yeah, thoughts on that? Yeah, I do actually. And it was this was a real gift to me a couple of years ago. But I had a therapist years ago who specialized in highly creative personalities. And he said one of the features of a highly creative person is that you start more things than you can finish. And he said... I yep. said, oh, I'm starting too many things. And he said, I'd encourage you to start more things. He said, you want to keep the ground fertile and what, what, what needs to, what will grow will grow. But he said, don't be afraid of starting things like, like keep it, keep it going. You know, some, sometimes Whoa. an idea is just like manure that fertilizes the ground and out of that something wonderful grows up. But it's kind of like keep it all, keep it all in play. You know, I have so many I have 30 pages of a screenplay. I have 10 pages of a screenplay. I have a short story. I have an, a, a list of titles that I love. I have ideas that are just always floating around in yeah. some form of... And I think that's okay because I actually do get stuff done and the stuff that wants to get done will Bubbles get done. Up. Yeah. So you're telling me that I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, you're more than okay. You're a highly creative personality. Amazing. Okay, well, check that off the list. Don't have yeah, to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so you're having a dinner party, kind of like the dining hall, and you can invite five people. What would you cook for them? Who would you invite? And what do you hope someone turns and asks you about at the table? And what do you hope no one asks you about that you're just over-talking about? Oh, my God. I might not be able to do this one. That's okay. um, it's a lot. That's a lot. I wish – why don't I – can I think about this? Yes, next podcast. Next podcast. Okay. Um, it's so too much pressure for this moment. Yeah, and we've been. Go you're probably like, I don't want to talk to them about anything because I've been talking for two hours. <laughs> um, all right, just a couple more. So, what is the biggest lesson you've learned about fame, relationships, and family? So you can do those three separately. Well, fame, I would say that people should watch my ink talk because yes, it's, link to it's that. generally That's what about I figured. that. So we can link to that. Um, relationships just want to hit uh, all the josh radner notes while I'm yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh relationships um you know i'm i'm really not a relationship expert expert and i say that with you know some humor and some sense of heaviness <laughs> but but um you know i think it Me my meditation teacher years ago said um relationships succeed or fail um, to the extent that each person can surrender their preferences. Ooh. So another one I think, that goes right in. <laughs> yeah, so I think it I think it has something to do with like like encouraging a kind of ego death through another person, which is why we start to resent people because the ego doesn't want to die. But I also think, you know, 
the only relationship that I'm interested in these days is the kind where we're each supporting our getting into contact with that God place in us, that true space. Yeah. You know, anything else feels to me like a bit of a time waster. I know that sounds, you know, they can be fun and you can whatever, but ultimately uh, maybe it's my age or something, but like I, I, I'm, I know, I know what, um, what I feel is the most important thing. And I know that the right partner for both of them can be kind of a jet fuel for that thing. And so that, that would be what I'm interested in. And I don't know if that's, that's something I had to learn certainly. And I'm, again, I, 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 I there are certain things I can speak up with authority and I don't know that. I, and it's funny cause I write mostly about relationships, but I, I think, um, you know, being a friend with a sense of humor who can also really encourage the best in you, that, that feels like ideal. Yeah. Family is, um, yeah, family, uh, you know, we all have karma around our family. That's why they're there. And, um, but I also, you know, I heard something about if you, if you grew up in a relatively happy family, you have to invent reasons to get angry at your parents. So you'll leave the house. So we kind of we kind of demonize them a little uh, bit. That's interesting. Uh, but I also I know a lot of people had deeply, deeply, deeply dysfunctional, unhappy family situations, and and I don't I think maybe the the, the idea of family should be broadened. I think one of the reasons people yeah. I always said one of the reasons people liked How I Met Your Mother was because it was about family. Yes, it was about people who had dysfunctional families and found a family in each other. They created their own family. So um, I think. Uh, I think maybe just widening the definition of family. But I also really, the older I've gotten, I've really honored my parents for their commitment to each other, um, for being faithful to each other, for um, caring about us, you know, so much. Like, there's there's a lot of sturdy lessons that I kind of took for granted. And now that I'm older, I kind of look back on them and say, hey, that was really good. Like, I'm really glad that I didn't come from a family that was like, yeah, go, go out and drink all you want and you don't have to call if you're going to be late. Like I came from a very, they fretted over me in a, in a yeah, sweet me way. Too. And, and I knew that I was loved, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I had a conversation with Val on, on the podcast, actually Pete's girlfriend. And we were talking about parents and, and family kind of like this and saying how kids can either be Oh, sometimes people stop their own personal growth and just have kids and that yeah. becomes their, you know, surrogate growth. And then another thing happens when the kids grow up where you can watch the parents and Val and I were saying this is we're the same age and that's happening with both of us where we are watching our parents grow by us growing and then meeting us where they're where we're at because they love us. And I think that's just this really beautiful thing that happens for adult children and parents' relationships. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, I'm engaged in a similar process with my parents, and it yeah. is quite lovely. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. All right, so let's land this plane. This has been so amazing. First of all, thank you so much for your time and coming on this podcast. And like I said, your work is really meaningful for me. I can't wait for your new book. It's going to be great. Hmm. And last question that I ask everyone, and then you can just share anything that, that you want to share. But my old blog was called The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer a term like that to you, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you in this moment right now? Um, well, first, uh, let me uh, say thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I also um, 
thanks for writing about me in your book. It's, so, it's such, a, such a lovely tribute. Aww. And, um, you know, I, 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 I had to figure out as I went, like, why I'm doing this, like, what really matters to me, that kind of notion of, like, why you started acting is not why you stayed acting and why. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my films... Um, were really well received at Sundance and at other festivals, and then, you know, because of the economics of the film industry and all this, they 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 didn't have they didn't like light the box office on fire. But I always had this sense that the the, the right people would find them, like that that they emitted some sort of frequency that people would pass them on and talk about them, and that seems to be what's happened. And I and I'm so grateful that um, they landed on you and have provided yeah, you. Yeah, I'm like your brand this. ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I hear that, but it also like you're cool, so it makes me feel like, well, the the, the people that I wanted to hear them are hearing them, and, and 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 I feel sometimes like, well, if you don't like my films, like that's totally fine. I just think like we probably wouldn't like each other because I'm really trying to make like yeah. my favorite films, and they're they're issues I really care about. So I just want to thank you for like being an ambassador, Aww. for loving them, for being vocal about them. It thank really means so a lot much. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I tell you a funny story about how I found your movie or something about that really quick? Sure, yeah. So I watched your movie with somehow, I don't even know how we found it, but my college boyfriend like found the movie. I became obsessed with it. I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. And it almost became a joke. We would quote the line in the movie where they're at the party and he's like, dude, you can have like 10 cookies. It's a party. For whatever reason, that line just became like the quotable one to me. And my friends made me a, like they redid the cover of the, of they like took out your cover of the DVD and remade this cover that just had a bunch of cookies on it <laughs> and then put the movie like in a big plate of cookies and they're for my birthday and they're like dude it's a party you can have like 10 cookies and it was just uh, anyway so that's, that's amazing yeah so I just had to tell you that because I'm yeah. talking to you and I would be mad if I didn't tell you so <laughs> yeah 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 it's I you know I when I both movies, I'm like, I'm trying to make my favorite movie. Like, what would be the movie if I like stumbled across it? I would be just delighted because I would feel like someone was talking to me and for me. Um, and you know, it, they're personal movies, which makes the stakes higher because I'm not making like something that I don't care about. Yeah. I'm making I really care about. Um, but I don't know how to do it any other way. You know what I mean? Like, it would feel it would feel like, why would I want to spend two years on something that I don't feel like is a true offering from my heart, you know? Um, so I guess that, that leads into your final question, which is mm-hmm. kind of, um, I realize that like the most important things to me are inspiration, both inspiring people and being inspired. And I just feel really, really, really grateful that I get to live a creative life, that I get to make my living creating things and um it's not something i take for granted i mean i take a lot for granted in my life but not that and um so to just continue um to have health and resources to keep making things and sharing stories and connecting with people who connect with those stories and also connecting with other people's stories and having a creative community and breaking down walls and barriers through art feels to me like the um one of the most exciting things yeah yeah josh you hit all the notes with that one that was amazing we got community we got all of it i feel like 
do you feel like cre- creativity to me is like this collage of all of these things that are meaningful and then putting them in a package that you can do in that moment, which, you know, at one point was happy, thank you more, please. And then liberal arts and then, you know, the book and then all the things that I create, you know, I feel like it's kind of like taking our greatest hits or the greatest things that we've gleaned in some way and putting them in a package for people. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I look at, I look, well, I always think of what I'm writing in that moment as like a receptacle for like anything that happens in my day, in my mind, in my heart, like, and a quote I hear, like, everything is usable when something is being written. And when I look back on it, it really does function as this kind of journal or this document of, like, not literally, but I think of Happy Thank You More Please as my 20s movie, and I think of Liberal Arts as my 30s movie. Mm -hmm. You know, because the issues, even though they were only made two years apart, like, the issues of, of the first one are really... They were they that was stuff I was struggling with in my twenties and in my thirties. Absolutely, that's what liberal arts is. So, um, but again, there are visions of like I present the problem and then I, you know, do my best to like heal something of it. You yeah. know, um, and that's Chekhov why said, yeah. yeah. What what did you say? I was going to say the um, Chekhov, the playwright, said that um, the artist's job is not solving problems but properly presenting them. Ooh. But I also feel like there is something like, you know, sometimes a, a, like a wiser version of me is at play. And in my writing, I can actually access that. And that's why there's so much mentorship because it's like, I know what to tell myself, kind of like what I saw in my journals when I was a young actor. Um, so I think, you know, you, you, you can step out ahead of where you are almost in life and offer yourself some wisdom from some different uh, part of you that that's not fully accessed or materialized. It's, it's, it's a slightly mysterious process. That's why I always think creativity is, is like, it has magic about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's mystical and that makes it so cool. Well, I hope you never stop creating. I really like your stuff. It's very meaningful to me. And I'm so glad that I got to hang out with you today. This is, this this is great. I I hope we'd stay in touch and I get to talk to you again. Absolutely. And uh, I felt a little sleepy at the beginning of this. Any, If you want to edit this, I kind of felt like I perked up and kind of got... But you can uh, do whatever you want with this. But it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. This It was amazing. And I feel like it... I, I was so worried that I wasn't... That I was taking too much of your time that I was like in my head a lot about that. And so thank you for t- spending so much time and letting me ask lots of questions and talk about my feelings and just... Yeah, it was so cool and I'm so grateful to know you and have be your friend now and yeah this is great so thank you again absolutely and I really do think you should start a podcast (laughs) well I gotta figure out some time for it but I do I I I would love it and I and I you know I like talking well you have a built-in audience because people are like tweeting at somebody literally today which is so goofy that I was interviewing you sent me an Instagram of like, hey, I got that movie you always mention. <laughs> like, I made it. it was, and I was like, this other guy made it, but thank you. So anyway, I really am your brand ambassador. It's silly at this point. <laughs> I love it. Well, have a great dinner. I don't, hopefully you're not late and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Katie. Right, that was it. My conversation with Josh Radner. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. Again, thank you for listening to give me the opportunity to be able to record it. You guys are so awesome. If you're still listening right now, 
please let me know what you think. Tweet at me, tweet at Josh, he's very active on Twitter, and let us know that you're still listening right now, that you heard this episode, what you thought of it, what you got from it. If you want to hear more, let me know. And as always, subscribe, share it, keep in touch. I think you guys are so awesome, and I will talk to you next week. Love you. Bye.